Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by John Holt of Fox 4 in Kansas City. We'll get Johnny Ray's thoughts on all the happenings that are going on at KU. Also look ahead to the NCAA tournament and get his thoughts on the Chiefs and more when John joins us coming up in just a little while from right now. Thomas Bridges joins me as always. Tom, what an interesting day that we are here having this show as we are now on the one-year mark of the day the sports world stood still. I'm watching the Big 12 tournament as we're taping this and just being there a year ago, I can remember that I was with uh, a friend of both of ours, Reed Williams, and it was such a weird day, us being at the Big 12 tournament, finding out, hey, the next day they're not going to have fans, but they're still going to let fans come in, and the NCAA tournament's not going to have fans. And Reed and I, after the game we covered finished, we go to the Johnny's Tavern across the street at Power and Light, and folks know that area, know that it's right there, and, you know, we're having a nice drink, just enjoying the evening. And all of a sudden, Scott Van Pelt jumps up on SportsCenter and says, the Oklahoma City Thunder have canceled their game due to Rudy Gobert testing positive for COVID-19. And all the other games of the night shut down. And I remember saying to Reed that night, this is going to be a night we remember where we were for the rest of our lives. And boy, did we have did we have any idea what was going to happen next? Of uh, the next few days that unraveled, of uh, all the sports just shutting down and everybody going into isolation, and us having no NCAA tournament, the Big Twelve tournament, all the other conference tournaments just getting canceled. Um, what a few days it was! And there's so many lessons that we learned in all this. But as we come to this week, Tom, it just makes me so grateful. I know I'm not there at the Big 12 tournament, and we're going to talk about it later. But I sit here today, and you know, I learned so much of not to take these things for granted, that we get to have a Big 12 tournament, an NCAA tournament, that some folks get to be there. Um, it's just a wild ride that we've been on the last few months and to think that here we are one year later from what that day was, uh, that, that's a day that we'll all remember. We'll never forget. Yeah, definitely not. I don't, you know, I, I say that I can't remember where I was. I'm, I, it wasn't anything eventful. I think I'm pretty sure I was just at home, uh, hanging out of my house and then saw that it had gotten canceled. Um, and just thought that is, I mean, I was thinking this is insane. Like, is, is this what it's, are we, are we coming down to that? And we came down to it and year later, Jones, I actually scheduled my COVID first COVID vaccine um, for Friday. So, but I have to, some reason I have to drive to Miami to get it. I don't know why. But I have to drive to Miami to get it, which, you know, I'm fine with. Uh, you know, they're talking about – what are they talking They're talking about COVID green cards where, you know, if you show your your little vaccine card, then you can, you know, go and do whatever you need to do. I'm fine with that. 
I am uh, perfectly okay with that. Because if well, that means if I get the vaccine and that means I get to just run around with like a chicken with my head cut off again, I'm doing it. Right. Well, we've seen too that they're talking about having COVID passports of some sorts. If you want to leave the country, potentially you got to get vaccinated. We talked last week. I've already had the vaccine. Uh, I got that done last week and I'm glad I did. And I'll be getting the second dose here in about two weeks. Uh, but nonetheless, what a ride it's been to get to this point and get to this day. And, you know, we're nearing the end. I think the worst of it's behind us. We're seeing things start to head the right direction. But what a time it's been to, to get to this point and all that we've been through. It's been a hard year for everybody. Whether you got COVID or not, everybody's been impacted by this thing one way or another. And, you know, I look at this week as we head into March and we're already in March as we head into March madness. Um, you know, sure. It's going to be weird. This thing's in Indiana the entire time. Um, you know, some of these teams are going to be shorthanded when it comes to COVID, you know, the COVID-19 is going to, you know, cause some problems for them and such, but I'm going to soak in all of this, the Big 12 tournament, even for me, Tom, as much as I love being at the Big 12 tournament and covering it the last few years, part of me was like, too, is why is KU even wasting their time with this? Um, you know, th this is a team that is clearly going to be, a, you know, in the past I've said it's clearly going to be a one seed. This Big 12 tournament makes no difference at all. To me, I'm like, let's play it. Let's enjoy it. Have a great time. Even a few weeks ago, I said we didn't need the conference tournaments. Selfishly, I'm saying to myself, we may not need them, but I'm going to enjoy them. I'm going to get the most out of it. I'm going to enjoy seeing these games in Indiana uh, here in you know a week or so, the, these NCAA tournament games. I'm excited just to sit at the sports book, go to Iowa, and just gamble on games and watch all the games at once. I mean, it's going to be riveting. It is going to be unbelievable, Tom, uh, of that experience to see the tournament like that. This is going to be an unconventional March Madness but I'm here for it all. Uh, you don't know how good you got something till it's gone. And I think that's the best way to summarize what we missed from 2020. Yeah, I think that's the truth. And I, I think, you know, once the vaccine starts rolling out and, you know, it's all going well, I think we're going to see, you know, we talk about March madness. I think it's going to be summer madness uh, come this, come this year. I am, I don't know about you, but I am, stoked and excited uh for this summer alone uh, i mean I, I think it's going to be uh someone someone summed it up on twitter the other day and they said it's going to be like summer 2016 and i don't know what it was jones about summer 2016 uh but something special about that about that time and i thought that was the best way to sum it up and i hope it is just like summer 2016. I don't know what it was about it. Um, but <laughs> well, that's the best that, way to that, sum it up. It had okay. that special feeling to it. It had that okay. special feeling to it. And I am I am here for it again. I don't think that made any sense at all. But all right. We'll deal with I, it. I mean, I don't know how your summer 2016 was. But 2016. See, all, that's the problem is all the years just run together for me now. Uh, I'm at that point. I'm 24 years old, and 
And uh, it takes a lot. The years for, are already running together. Right. It takes a lot for one year in particular to stand out, like 2020 obviously did. But I get what you're saying uh, to an extent. I'm excited for this summer. First one in Omaha to experience that and to see the College World Series just about a half mile from where I live, have that firsthand and such. You know, that's going to be a whole new experience for me uh, as far as this summer goes. But nonetheless, uh, certainly grateful that we've gotten to this point and looking forward to what's ahead is for sure. Now, what's ahead for Kansas football is another, another reset. Feels like we've been there, done that uh, with this Kansas program. Last miles out as the head coach of the university of Kansas, Jeff long out as the athletic director at the university of Kansas, these changes made within just the last few days, Les miles, they can't even do a news dump right at Kansas. He gets fired at 11 o'clock on a Monday night, 11 o'clock Eastern, 10 Central. That didn't add up. Um, Jeff Long gets fired uh, Wednesday afternoon is the new when we found out that he was gone, that uh, KU was going to make these changes. And, you know, I know that we didn't really get to talk about this last week because all this unfolded after the show was out of the investigation and the details that would unfold over those two days. But after Friday, when those LSU investigation details were released by the judge in Louisiana, it was pretty easy for KU to decide what to do then. They had no choice. They had to move on from Les Miles. That was very evident. They had to move on from Jeff Long. That had to happen. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. It was then figuring out how in the world do you make it happen? Do you fire Les Miles for cause, which they should have done? Um, what about Jeff Long? Paying him's not going to be cheap. This is a university that's struggling for money. Any decision you make, it's not going to be easy to do when it comes to money. It was an easy moral decision but not when it came to money, when it came to dollars and cents. So with all that being said, um, Les goes, um, you know, he, he was very creepy around these women, uh, you know, college age girls, bringing them to his apartment, doing these things. I mean, there's just no excuses for it. Kissing women without consent, just all the stuff that Les Miles had to go. And, you know, there, there's going to be some folks out there that try to blame cancel culture on this. And, you know, that'd be their vendetta that they point to that Les Miles was canceled by KU. That's what some people are going to say. But here's why Les Miles was fired. Okay. Let me put this in simple terms for you. Les Miles lied to the University of Kansas. He was asked... Before he took the job, if there's anything that KU should be worried about, anything they should know, any problems that have rose, any of that out there. Les Miles said no. Said there was no reason to be concerned. That's lying. I don't care what Jeff Long says in his press conference. That's lying. He lied to Jeff Long. He lied to the University of Kansas. And there was something, and it was pretty bad. And that cost him his job. So... Then you move ahead to Jeff Long. And here's Jeff Long, who did 
some real bad things when it comes to this. For one, hiring Miles and not properly vetting him, or he knew and hired him anyway. Now, Miles, now Long says that he didn't know, and so he just hired his friend without properly vetting him. That's on Long for not doing his job to vet the next head coach at the University of Kansas. And this already adds to what Jeff Long's already done to screw up the basketball investigation to screw up the buyout of David Beatty. This was like strike, not three. This was like strike four or five with Jeff Long. And then you have this press conference where he goes out there looking like a fool, pointing to wins and losses instead of what Les actually did. And not saying one damn thing about the women that were hurt in all this. I mean, Jeff Long was just lousy. This was disturbing. This was an embarrassment for the University of Kansas on every level, in every single way. This was awful how this was handled. And for them to even send Jeff Long out there to make this press conference when it was very clear he should have been out of the job, why was he even out there? He only did more damage. Now you look at who you were going to bring in. To, you did, it was already an unattractive job. Now you've made the situation even worse. I mean, this is just horrible. We know this KU job is a bad job. The only good thing that it's got going for it is that they are close to 85 scholarship players for the first time in how many years, you know, like a decade or so. Um, but even with saying that, due to COVID, all these schools had players where their years didn't count towards eligibility, so they're taking fifth, sixth years. So you may get to 85, but you know what? There's teams with over 100 players that are on scholarship. So 85 may sound, sound nice, but realistically, it's not that great when everyone else has well over that number. So there's some major problems at Kansas. I hated how this was handled. Um, and the other thing about Les Miles, I know I've been on a tangent. Tom understands I got a lot to get off my chest on this. But here's the deal with Les Miles. And, and Tom, I, I hesitate even saying this, but I feel like it needs to be said with Les Miles. Now, let me preface this so we don't get sued on this show. Um, you ready for this, Tom? Here, are you ready for about what's coming here? Um, Hit me. With Les Miles, I, despite the previous name of this show, I am not a doctor. Um, and so I do not have a medical background. So I can't say this as a official medical diagnosis. Let me get that out of the way, the disclaimer here. But from those around Les Miles, the people I've talked to and the way I interacted with him, covering him the last two years, all the rumblings around the program was something is not mentally right with Les Miles. The belief was, and again, this was a belief, not an official diagnosis. The belief was that Les Miles had early stages of dementia 
This guy couldn't remember players' names. He couldn't remember where he was, finish his sentences, really struggling. It was only a matter of time before the Les Miles experiment failed. It was just going to be how and why it wasn't going to work. Now, did I expect this type of thing to come up? No, but it did. And here we are. But it was it was going to fail. Um, you know, that, that first year when Les won three games, it was like, all right, okay. And then you started to see that offseason, how, you know, in the midst of the pandemic, when these teams are putting out these positive messages and such, that he's nowhere to be seen, it just didn't add up. So, you know, we knew pretty early on in the tenure that this wasn't going to work with Les Miles, but I did not see things ending this way. And, you know, I'm disappointed to say the least in how all this unfolded here, Tom. I mean, it all happened pretty quickly, I feel like. Uh, I mean, just all of a sudden, just boom. Uh, and this happened and, and, and frankly kind of came out of nowhere all at once. You know, football, nothing really is going on right now. I mean, sure, we had, you know, the, you know, NBA's going on all-star break, though. I mean, nothing too crazy going on and then just – this out of nowhere and and the fallout was immediate um and now you're left you know KU's left without a a football coach and an AD and it's obviously not a job that anybody really wants to be fair um so you know KU was looking to have a solid recruiting class I'll be interested to see how that shakes up if it does you know, a, a solid recruiting class for KU. I mean, I forget where it was ranked nationally, but it was high enough that, you know, you're thinking, okay, KU's on the right track here. Um, you know, going into Les Miles' third year, maybe get gaining some traction and then back to square one. I mean, you might as well have David Beatty back. I heard that suggested actually to bring back David Beatty. No oh, chance, God. but uh, I, I like David. As David uh, Beatty mac and cheese off of the menu at Twenty Third Street Brewing. Uh, they did the the David Beatty uh, Frito Chili Pie is what it was, um, and that is uh, nowhere to be found uh, on that menu. I wonder how long until the Les Miles vegan salad goes um, <laughs> at this point. That's, uh, that's going to be next. They're going to run out of menu options at uh, 23rd Street. Uh, but we, we love Matt right. Llewellyn and 23rd Street. Uh, but with that being said, you know, Les Miles, um, you know, the, the experiment now, you look at it, you've had four coaches in a row fail at Kansas. Les Miles, David Beatty, Charlie Weiss, Turner Gill. Um, didn't work with any of them for different reasons. And in Les's case, what's so demoralizing, I think, is that you see when Les was hired, the excitement there was about Kansas football, the people started to be invested, showing up to games again. There was people that were talking about this program. You had this, you know, this show on ESPN Plus and Les is, you know, everywhere. He's around campus. He's trying to get students to buy in. I mean, people were sold on this Kansas football program at a period of time. 
there was legit excitement, legit interest in what KU was doing. And so, you know, there's a trust level of sorts that you have to earn. And whoever the next Kansas coach is going to be, after having a national championship head coach come in and he couldn't turn the thing around and turned out to be a creepy senile old man, now as a fan base, you say, now what? Now what do we do? I mean, you know, it's going to take, you're going to have to really earn this fan base to come back and give a damn about this football program. And that's not just getting butts in seats, Tom. That's fundraising. That's, you know, paying the bills around here. And as we talked about at the top, times are tough. Not easy to get uh, that paycheck like it once was. So for KU at this point, there's, there's a long road ahead. It's not just finding the right coach but it's getting the fan base to come back too. It's uh, it's going to be tough for Kansas to get to where they want to go. Yeah. I mean, if they took two steps forward, hiring less miles, they just take about four steps back. Um, I mean, I, I think right now, depending on who they hire, they're in worse opposition than they were when David Beatty was the coach. I mean, this is just a, a huge blow for KU. Yeah. It is in every way. And now you look at, you got to hire a head coach. You got to hire an AD. Let's talk about the process. So (laughs) when Jeff Long initially had that press conference, the way he laid it out was that he was going to try to hire a head coach as soon as possible. And I think that in, in Jeff's case, Jeff was, he, uh, he threw less miles under the bus, right? And giving him the buyout and, you know, having him not saying anything for, you know, saying that Les didn't tell him this. Um, you know, Jeff did everything to put his job, to blame it on less miles, to save face for himself. And it's still, he still lost his job. And so in Jeff's plan, it was, all right, I'm going to go hire another coach. And we're going to move forward and I'm going to do that, attach myself to another guy and try to save my job and get this thing moving. Now you fired the AD. I think that the right plan would be if the university of Kansas will listen to me, and this is free advice that they're getting right here on the Jones report. I hope they're listening. This is what Kansas needs to do. Hire the AD first. um, And, Don't rush it. Find the guy you want. Um, And I've seen Danny Manning's name come up. I know that he could raise some money and he'd be popular with fans, but he doesn't have any any administrative experience. So, you know, he'd be a name, but go find your AD and then um, name an interim football coach for the year. I would go ahead and throw in the towel on this season and say, you know what, the best coaching candidates, KU's already got slim pickings to begin with. Um, You want the best available, right? And in this situation, with spring ball already underway for a lot of schools in the country, I mean, it, it would just look pretty crappy for any coach to leave their program right now in the middle of spring practice to take this Kansas job. So your options are are limited 
just in that sense, let alone who actually, why the hell anybody wants to come to Kansas is all another story. So what I'd say is hire the AD, name an interim coach, somebody that's already on staff, um, you know, whether it is Mike DeFord or whether it's, um, you know, Emmett Jones or whoever it may be, name an interim coach. And maybe even go across town to, to Clint Bowen, grab him from Lawrence High School. I don't care. Whatever it may be. Name an interim coach. The year becomes a de facto audition for them. If they do good enough, then you hire them. Probably not going to happen, though. Um, and then you, what you do at that point is you do a real coaching search, and you go get somebody in November, in December, January, wherever, and you have your best option available. That's what I would do. That's what Kansas should do. Will they do it? That remains to be seen. But uh, that's what I would do, Tom. Uh, I know that's a tough pill to swallow, but you've already been bad for over a decade. What more do you have to lose by going ahead and throwing in this year to an interim head coach so you can go ahead and try to get the best guy available come next winter? Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to do something. They just can't sit by idly and think it's going to come to them. I don't think they will do that, but uh, I mean, they're going to have to figure something out and, and figure out what's going to be available on the coaching carousel. And, you know, is it, I mean, it's, uh, when is it going to come out that the recruits start trying to, you know, figure something else out? Uh, I mean, they, they need to, to regain somewhat, a, a, a somewhat stability I don't know if they've ever had it, but, you know, at least attempts at some st stability here. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, – I mean, I, I can't – I don't think I can overstate how big of a deal this is for KU for a football program that was, I wouldn't say seemingly on the way up, but headed in the right direction to to go so far backwards. It's like, Jones, you ever played Candyland and, you, yeah. you know, you land on the thing and it starts you back at the beginning? Uh, that's what this is. And they've been kicked off to the beginning about four or five times in a row, right? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, to be fair, they even have, they haven't really given themselves a chance to roll the dice. <laughs> oh, man, that's bad. I mean, they have, they have not even passed go. They will not collect $200. Uh, I mean, we, I mean, back to home base. I mean, they just sunk their own battleship. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, that's nicely put. Now let, let me say this just, uh, for the record here, I have nothing personal against Les Miles or against Jeff Long. This is all strictly business. Um, my working relationship here, here's what I'll tell you. Um, with, with Les and Jeff, um, I ran into Les several times around town. He was very good to me. No problems with Les. Jeff was, um, you know, you could almost call a friend of some sorts. Um, you know, he always said hi to me and knew me my name everywhere. We, we crossed paths, always had good conversations. Jeff was a regular on my radio show with Lawrence. Um, you know, Jeff was great. He was great to talk to, very knowledgeable guy. He told me stuff off the record, you know, some things that uh, about all sorts of stuff 
Um, no personal vendetta against those guys. Um, but they would under, I think they would understand, um, that my job is to be honest with you and tell you how it is. I'm not here to, to make friends. I'm here to tell the truth. And the fact is Les Miles has no business being the head football coach of the university of Kansas, and they shouldn't have paid him another penny. The fact is that Jeff Long has no business being the athletic director at the university of Kansas and did an awful job. His tenure was atrocious. Um, you know, he brought some energy to the football program. Sure. But from day one with how he treated David Beatty to how it ended with Les Miles, it was just a disaster. The Jeff Long tenure. And you look at Arkansas. Um, how much better is Arkansas athletics right now without Jeff Long running the show? A whole lot better. They found a football coach. They found a basketball coach. Um, their facilities and their money is coming together. They are so much better off. The best thing that happened to Arkansas athletics in the last five years was firing Jeff Long. So I hope that good karma comes over to Kansas, that pay, firing Jeff Long, I hope that pays off for this program. Um, I really do because uh, he set this program back and that's not even going to how he handled basketball things and, and such and his relationship with bill self is well documented that they don't get along and such so um you know this is it was an ugly ending and you know nothing personal nothing by any means just business and uh you know i hope that KU makes the right hire as far as coaches go here's what i look at tom to replace less miles now ad's i'm no expert at all when it comes to what ad's should take the, the job and such um, I like Terry Mosier at UCF, but he just took that job. I know he's a KU alum, but um, I do know that Danny Manning, I would be questionable about that hiring with a guy that's never been an administrator. Uh, I'm not going to spend time on who they should hire as the next AD um, so much uh, just because, you know, you're, you're looking at basically just resumes. You don't know them as people or the, the nitty gritty, right? When it comes to the next head coach, here's the way I look at it, Tom, is that you have tried everything if you're Kansas. You hired the national champion head coach in Les Miles. You went after the recruiting guru and David Beatty. You tried the, the NFL guy, Charlie Weiss. You tried the up-and-comer with Turner Gill. KU has exercised almost Every option when it comes to a head coach, except for one thing, one thing only, and that's a triple option coach. I'm all in. Let's do it. Let's go with the triple option. Bring it to Lawrence. What do you have to lose at this point? And if you're KU, you're not Oklahoma. You're not even Oklahoma State. You're not Kansas State. Your expectation, if you win six or seven games, They'll build you a statue. They'll have parades. People would be thrilled. They would what they would take for that right now. And you look at this Big Twelve. Um, we saw what Oklahoma did to Army, or what Army did to Oklahoma a couple of years ago. Um, you put that in the league, in a conference that was much better on defense this past year, but historically speaking, has struggled. Why not? What do you have to lose at this point? Even the playing field when it comes to recruiting. Um, why not? Let, let's just see what happens. Everything else has failed. 
bring a triple option coach, Jeff Munkin at Army, Ken Niamata Lolo from Navy, whoever it may be. I'm all in on the triple option. Am I crazy in saying that, Tom? No, you know, I don't think so. I mean, you got to try something different, right? I mean, uh, why not become a triple option team? And until if it doesn't work, you're not any further behind than what you are now. Right. You oh, know what yeah. they say about you know what they say about rock bottom. <laughs> it's yeah. only it's only up from here. Right. And then you got a uh, a quarterback in Jalen Daniels who was recruited by Army. Um who they thought could run the triple option. So obviously he's fast enough. And for KU, he was their starting quarterback. He's a good enough passer to be a starter in a spread offense. That would bring a whole nother element to the triple option. If you got a guy that can actually pass the football, why not? I mean, let's see them go with the triple option. Those would be my top two choices. If, uh, if Kansas were to go this route of, I would go with, you know, Jeff Munkin or Ken Namata Olo from Navy. If, if KU says, no, we're not doing triple option, you know, that's, we're too good for the triple option, which is funny to even utter from Kansas, the idea of them being too good for anything. Um, but if they feel that way, the next name I would look at is uh, Bill Clark at UAB. And Bill Clark is very interesting. And here's why, Tom. Bill Clark... Remember, UAB shut down their football program at one point in time. Bare bones, they said, we're gone. We're nothing. And then they brought it back, and Bill Clark had to build that thing up from the ground up of not even playing football. And they have been awesome in Conference USA the last few years. Take the same approach with Kansas. Say, you know what? You're the worst team in the Power Five, one of the worst jobs in America, Start from zero and build your way up again. Bill Clark built the program at UAB. The one thing that that uh, Jeff Long was right about, about the Kansas football program is you need a guy with head coaching experience that knows how to build a program. And that's what I look at with those three names I mentioned. All of them have built programs. And Bill, and, and I, Bill Clark uh, would be the name. If you're not going triple option, I would love a guy like Bill Clark, Tom. I mean, yeah, that would be a great hire. I mean, he's, you know, proven that he can build a team up from the ground up. And, you know, I I think they should take a page. I think they should at least give him a call and see if he's ready to, you know, make that move. Um, because, uh, I mean, you're, the, the pickings are slim. Um, so it's going to have to be, you know, you're not going to get another coach that, you know, granted what Les Miles did was terrible as far as a coach, pretty good coach, not a very nice person. Right. Um, but you're you're not going to get that falling in your lap. I mean, it, it, at that point in time, Les Miles coming to Kansas, hindsight's twenty twenty, but it was too good to be true in the yeah. end. Um, well, go ahead. Uh, so they're going to have to they're going to have to start with a lower level and and just take a shot. I mean, Bill Clark would be great. Right. Well, and here's something to, to think about. When you look at the rest of this Big 12, look at this league, Tom. Um, what of the programs, who are the programs that we've seen have these big turnarounds? You know, people obviously point to Bill Snyder and K-State, but that was over 20 years ago now. I don't think you can really relate much 
to what Snyder did, to what today's day and age in football is. Um, that was, you know, the greatest turnaround in college football history that will never be done again like that was. But what you can look to is most recently with Baylor and with Iowa State. And with Baylor, they did it twice. One time with Art Bryles, and you know, that was a whole other story. Um, but then later on, KU does this, or uh, Baylor does this with uh, Matt Rule. They were awful when Matt Rule took over that place, and he rebuilt them from the ground up. They had a system in place. They focused on analytics. They had the facilities, and they took off, and they were physical. They were tough, and it was awesome what Baylor did. You look at Iowa State with Matt Campbell. There was a point in time when Matt Campbell took that job, believe it or not, KU and Iowa State were in the same place. And But Iowa State had an edge on they were improving their facilities. Matt Campbell was coming in with a proven system, what he had done at Toledo. He knew how to recruit, and he made that work. It can be done. It's difficult to do, but it can be done. The thing that I would say, though, the big difference – between the rebuild jobs of Baylor and Iowa State as opposed to Kansas is that KU does not have the facilities those two schools did. Baylor ended up having phenomenal facilities. Tom, you've been out there, you know, the the stadium on the Brazos, that's incredible. It's one of the best value stadiums in in sports. Um, It was the, the best fine you could get at Walmart for a football stadium. Um, yeah, that's, case, that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, in the case of Iowa State, they did a whole facelift in their stadium and their facilities and really invested. Memorial Stadium, with all due respect, at KU is a dump. And I know that it's a historical site and you know what it means, it's a special place in Kansas, and the tailgating scene's really cool. And it's in a beautiful spot, but the stadium itself is a dump. Now, you got the indoor facility now. That helps, but there's still a lot of stuff that KU is just behind in that um, is going to take a while before they can get up to where they need to be again. So that's what I look at with this Kansas program where um, where they're behind the eight ball. As far as if you're going to look to Iowa State and Baylor as a model, those were great things those programs did under great coaches, but you're still behind those schools because you still don't have the resources those schools did to do, to have their turnarounds. Yeah. I mean, and those took time as well. And, and, you know, KU has to find the right person and the right resources, like you mentioned, and then give it time. I mean, we thought less miles coming in. This was going to be, you know, we were looking at year three as maybe, uh, you know, a, a, a move in the needle year. Now we're looking what was going to be maybe another two year project for them to potentially be fighting for a bowl game. Or now we're looking at maybe five years. Uh, I mean, this is just this is just prolonging and prolonging. I mean, it's just. Uh, you know, you think it's going to get better and it just gets worse. Uh, I mean, I, I can't sum up the last 10 or so years for KU football any any better than that. I mean, literally the one shining moment is beating Texas and everything else, you know, you can just forget about. 
right? The best meme ever, uh, KU beating uh, Texas. Uh, Maybe they should call Charlie Strong. Oh, please, no. I saw somebody <laughs> suggest Tom Herman. I'm like, oh, no, really? Uh, Tom Herman would not take that job, I don't think. Right. Oh, my gosh. But we'll see. This program's got a long ways to go. Uh, you know, I love KU. I love my time there. And, you know, I actually enjoyed covering this team despite how much losing there was. It was quite the experience. Um, but nonetheless, it's going to be a long road. There are long days ahead for this Kansas football program. And there was a point where, you know, I was convinced where I said, hey, you know, the worst days are behind them. They're going to get through this. And, I've tried telling myself that only to be disappointed time and time again. So we'll see, but uh, it's going to be tough for Kansas to get back. We'll talk about that more with John Holt. Now, full disclosure, um, John and I recorded this interview before Jeff Long got fired. And so we talked about that as if Jeff Long still had that job at the time. So just keep that in mind (laughs) when we talk about Jeff Long one of the things we do mention in this interview was that it's going to cost a lot for Jeff Long to be fired. Well, it did cost a lot, but they still made it happen. They got out the checkbook. So a fascinating discussion with John Holt coming up on the other side. Later on, we'll get to Coach Bo for Coach Bo's football fix. And then also later in the show, we'll have our Tom Fullery story of the week as well. Plus, we got to talk NCAA tournament. The Big 12 tournament is already underway. We'll break that down for you as well. Still more to come. John Holt joins us next right here on the Jones Report. Stay with us. Joining us now on the Jones Report this week from Fox 4 in Kansas City, it's our old buddy John Holt, who's back on the program once again. Johnny Ray, what's going on? Appreciate you joining hey, us, man. Good to see you, my friend. Uh, well, as you can see, I got dressed up for the occasion. I hope you don't <laughs> hope you don't mind my fancy outfit here. Uh, and, of course, uh, just so there's no question. Uh, I love it. Uh, what would we like to say, uh, you know, want, want everybody to know where we're coming from, uh, as you know, big football fan. In fact, uh, you mind if I show you something real quick? Yeah, go ahead. Please yeah, do. I know you'll recognize this, Tyler, as a, as a frequenter of my lot. 90, oh. yeah, lot the 95. Yeah, the old uh, colon cooler uh, was sort of put away and had a, a year hiatus with the pandemic, but it's, uh, it's looking forward to being back in the lot next fall. I can't wait. With that Coleman uh, cooler, I'm very curious. Uh, I know that you were watching games at home like everybody else was this year. Did you just go ahead and take the drinks (laughs) fridge and just go ahead and use the cooler anyway? The cooler was uh, taking the year off. I just went, I went straight to the fridge. Yeah. No, no big deal. Or, or my favorite watering hole, wherever the game was. That's great. I love it. Uh, before we, we get into too much shop, uh, John, tell us uh, what you've been up to. What, what are things uh, like these days? Uh, it seems like there's a lot going on. <laughs> there's a lot going on. You're right. I actually, uh, a fair amount in, in the news world, as you as you well know, at Fox 4, we were heavily invested into the Super Bowl this year. We didn't carry the games we did when it was in Miami, but uh, I was sent down to Tampa, spent nine days down there with uh, our, the rest of our crews uh, covering uh, – a pandemic Super Bowl, which was fascinating in and of itself. Uh, just the, 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 the differences between all access, which we had last year to the stadium, to the players, uh, to almost no access. Uh, news conferences were Zoom. That's the way we, we do things right now. It, it actually kind of forced us to, to work a little harder. We were you know, challenged to find 
stories that maybe we wouldn't have looked for in Miami because a lot of it was, you know, just going to the stadium to cover different things or, or, or rallies or, you know, fan experiences. In this case, the good news for us was in, in that part of the world, uh, that part of the, the Gulf Coast of Florida, there are a lot of Chiefs fans because a lot of people either retire down there or they have they winter homes down there or they've moved there for business um, and, and they're still loyal Chiefs fans. So that was fun. We, we got to see a lot of people and some old friends uh, down there as part of our coverage. That's great. That's great. And I yeah. want to touch on that coming up uh, later, just uh, about that Super Bowl and about that Chiefs team. Get your thoughts on there. But, uh, you know, one of the things, John, that attracted me to working in the news side of things was that so many times we see sports migrates to news, becomes the top news story of sorts and that they you know cross paths so much. And, oh, yes. And we've seen that with this KU story with uh, Les Miles here in the uh, last uh, several days of what's unfolded of him being uh, ousted as a KU's head coach. As a longtime KU fan like yourself, what's just your immediate reaction, immediate thoughts of what's gone down the last several days? Well, I guess a couple of things. One, disappointment. Um, I, I think, as you and I have talked in the past, um, I thought we were headed in the right direction. I know that the record didn't necessarily reflect that last season, 0-9. Uh, but in terms of recruiting, uh, in terms of focusing on high school kids and building a program, uh, good assistants who um, had, had come to Lawrence to be a part of that rebuild, I thought we were headed in the right direction. I think there was, there was an energy uh, you know, coming off the David Beatty era. Um, so I'm disappointed, uh, you know, one step forward, two or three steps back again for this program, um, since the Mangino era, it's been one, you know, change after another. Um, and the other thing I would say is, I guess, you know, just, I, I just hate the image that it portrays, not just for football, but for the university itself. I mean, this obviously sports, I know people don't like to hear this, but sports helps create an image for, for a university. Uh, and it can attract uh, students, not just athletes, but students who want to come for the experience of going to basketball games in Allen Fieldhouse. And, you know, you'd like to think football games at Memorial Stadium. Um, that's part of the experience in the SEC. It's part of the experience in the Big Ten for, for kids, but also for, for donors and academics and, and building up, you know, recruiting professors and associate professors. And I just think overall your image can be, can be based on how your sports program is doing. It doesn't have to win national championships every year. I've, I've never said that. I think most KU football fans are, are happy with a chance to be competitive, uh, to maybe win six or seven games a year, go to a bowl game, uh, or at least be in the mix. Um, but this, this kind of thing just nationally makes you that I keep seeing the term laughing stock, and I don't know if that's fair, but, um, but I just, I just hate to see the university of Kansas, my alma mater, uh, be in the news this way. I'd rather KU be in the news for, you know, uh, winning both on the field and academically and in research and in those kinds of things. So I, I, I really feel bad for the people who are in charge of the image of the university that, from the chancellor's office down. And I'm hoping that we can get past this and, and get back to what, you know, what KU is all about. Yeah. And you, you look at these two years, there was so much <laughs> excitement, so much hype when Les Miles showed up and, now the way that this thing unfolded, unraveled so quickly, um, John, I just loved, you know, when, when Les Miles showed up, no matter what you thought of the hire, 
just that there was then energy that people could get excited about Kansas football. You could tell, and we wondered this for a period of time, just because there was no in energy with that football program with the previous couple hires, if people were even interested in Kansas football, if people even cared about the success. But the passion of the fan base, it's, it's clearly there. They're, they're hungry for something. They just need to be given something, it seems. I agree. And, and I will tell you that it's, there's a, there's a core loyal group of football fans. It's easy to be a basketball fan, right? Tyler, right. We, we, we've talked about how easy it is to be a KU basketball fan, but there are a core group of KU football fans who show up on Saturdays, sometimes even go on the road. Um, I guess I would be one of those. Uh, some would call me a fool, but, but I love it. I love college football. I love the atmosphere. I love being on campus uh, on a Saturday, fall Saturday morning or afternoon. Um, so, you know, I, there's that core group that has stuck with it uh, through thick and thin. It's been frustrating to me to see the student section, not very full. Uh, I recognize those 11 AM starts can be tough for, <laughs> for college kids, right? On a Saturday, but you know, I, I want to see this program get back to a point where the students care about it, where they're coming to the games. Um, the, one of the best games of the year for me is homecoming because you get people who come back who don't normally come to KU football games. And they get to see Lawrence again, and they get to see the campus. And some of them come from out of town. Some of them come from the Kansas City and Wichita areas, Topeka. But there's an energy on homecoming weekend. I just happened this season to go. It was Oklahoma State. Early in the season, I was invited by the KU Alumni Association to go and, and uh, see the game. And it was homecoming weekend. And it was just like a ghost town. Obviously, the pandemic was, was sure. a big reason why. But it just sort of was, uh, little did I know then, symbolic of, of what was to come. And I, I hope that... I hope that the, the search process is open and transparent. I hope that they they really look hard at finding maybe not not maybe not a name coach. It doesn't have to be a name coach. Maybe you find that up and coming mid major or assistant or whatever, and and that fans are energized again in the fall with a fresh start. Um, that's my hope. I hope we can get. It's going to take wins. I get it. Uh, the, the fan who's on the bubble, the casual fan, they want wins before they're going to spend time in Lawrence. The rest of us go over there because we love the atmosphere and love being around football. But we'll see. I think it's going to be an interesting few weeks. We'll see how quickly they can move. I think the next step will be the naming of an interim coach. We can talk about that. I think that's going to be a key move as well. Yeah. And then you, you figure out, okay, so if, if your Kansas here, do you go with an interim coach for the entire season and then – go find a new head coach or do you go ahead and begin the coaching search now and hopefully you know hope to find your guy I mean the th this is going to be a tough job for anyone to take and the options are always going to be thinner compared to other jobs John but their best route of action uh, personally I think is you know, just because of how limited the options are if you don't find the guy that you're completely sold on, there's no need to rush this and, and to, to go get, uh, you know, the, your full-time head coach right away. What say you? Do you, do you, do you kind of let the you know, process play itself out, wait a bit, or do you need somebody right away? Well, I think, I think I'm with you on that. I think if, if a candidate emerges that fits what, what the university needs right now, then you can pull the trigger, so to speak. You can, you can make that higher. But I'm not sure that's going to happen. Spring football has started at, at many schools. Mizzou and K-State are in the middle of theirs. KU's, I think, is coming March 23rd. Um, let's talk, you know, some of the names that are already popping up, uh, Jeff Monk and an Army, you know, they're getting, they're getting into their spring practices. Is he going to leave West Point to come to Lawrence? 
Um, in the middle of spring ball? In the middle of spring ball and, and leave, you know, the point without a coach. Uh, that's one name we've, we've seen uh, bandied about. Which I would love to see, by well. the way. Um, yeah, we talked about that. I think uh, he, he's a great coach, no question about it. Navy's coach is, is solid, too, and his name is on the list. Um, I think if you make the right interim choice, and I think there are two, as, as you and I have discussed, and that's the two young assistants who've been with the program, the defensive coordinator and the wide receivers coach, who've been with the program since day one with Les Miles, um, then I think the kids will believe they, they are obviously already close to these kids. They've recruited these kids. They've coached some of them, the new kids coming in, not yet, but they will. Then you can maybe let it ride and take the year to see what develops out there and to, um, you know, is it going to matter if, if you make that, that big hire that, that right away in the win loss column? Probably not. You have your offensive coordinator in place now. Um, and so I think maybe you go with an interim. If you bring in a head coaching hire, does he want to bring in his own assistants? And all of a sudden you're, you know, you're changing that chemistry and that mix after spring practice is over. So we'll see. Um, that's going to be up to Jeff Long, the search committee. And I think Chancellor Gerard will play a key role as well. Well, and uh, I know, you know, Chancellor Gerard, uh, not a lot of people do. Um, you know, he's kind of, you know, backed off over the years and let Jeff Long do his own thing with this athletic department. But after Jeff Long, you know, misses on this Les Miles hire and how this has been conducted, we hear that Long's going to use a search firm this time instead of finding a head coach himself. I, I would think that Douglas Gerard is uh, paying very close attention to what things are going on here. I mean, a lot of people are even pushing him to, uh, you know, to, to force uh, Long out, but there, there's not a whole lot of money to work with, it seems, either. Uh, there, you know, the, the options are, are kind of limited here on, on that front, too. I think so. I think we've all seen what the pandemic has done to revenues for, uh, for, for college athletic departments. Um, you, you've now long said in his news conference that uh, the money for the Miles buyout or farewell gift was coming from either donors or revenues generated by the program. Well, we know revenues are down. So you have to think that perhaps a donor or two was tapped um, and you just can't keep going back to that. Well, uh, I think whether you, whether you support Jeff Long or not, I'm not sure there's the money there to, to send him on his way, then bring in a new athletic director, do that search and then find a football coach. So that would certainly delay a hire if you did that. Doug Gerard may be thinking now let's, let's, reboot i'll be involved in this we're going to put together a search committee we're going to put we're going to hire a national firm and and we're going to do this the right way and, and see where it goes from there i know there's a lot of question marks about jeff long and his previous hires at arkansas um and 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 how he handled the less miles hire but i'm not sure in reality okay in reality that there's much you can do at this point Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I totally get that. And I know that's a tough pill for some KU folks to, to swallow, but it's just the reality of where things are, are at right now. Uh, and by the way, I, Doug Gerard, who I've known for a number of years, he gets, he understands sports. I mean, he's a doctor. He's, he's a, an academic guy. He was vice chancellor at the KU medical school. Um, so he, he's that side as well, but he's also in, in many ways, a businessman and he understands he's a very bright guy, great guy. And he understands the importance of a, of a firm athletic program to the image that we talked about earlier. So I do think, I, I, I do think Dr. Gerard will be 
in on this. I don't think he'll be out front. He's not that type of leader, but I think he'll he'll be in on things in the background, and, and I think we'll we'll shepherd this the right way. Well, one of the things that's important for you know Dr. Gerard and everybody involved in KU is that you know conference realignment is not too far away from when these contracts are going to be up with these conferences <laughs> and these TV deals and. And, you know, part of the reason why that there was so much focus on this football program was that they wanted to be able to be, you know, a sellable image of sorts to uh, if something were to happen to the Big 12 or at least to help the revenue go up for the Big 12 of some sorts here. Now, you know, trying to get this football program up of what's been down for a better part of a decade here, John. I mean, the, the, the clock's ticking to try to get this football program on its feet to before all these deals come up here pretty soon. Uh, you know, they, 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 they know full well that uh, this football program needs to start winning uh, very quickly here. Well, and that's when, when it comes to conference realignment the last time, right? And there was talk of where would KU fit? Really nowhere because the football program wasn't where they needed it to be. If this is 08 or 09 and you're going to a BCS bowl game and you're in the top 10 in the country – then you are a desirable member of the conference. Now, the basketball program will, will help, but revenue comes from a football program and a stadium that you can fill with 55,000 people and get on television uh, uh, with the contracts that, that, that are involved there. So, yeah, I think conferences want football programs, and that's unfortunately the reality. You know, you're quite right, and that, that clock is ticking. Yeah, yeah, yeah certainly so. And uh, you mentioned uh, – uh, Jeff Munkin, you you know him, uh, you know to an extent with uh, your son going to West Point and everything, running that triple option offense. Uh, I would love to see something like that at, at at KU. I mean, if if you look at these Big Twelve defenses historically, they've been so bad. Um, you know, Army just a couple of years ago almost beat Oklahoma in Norman in overtime. Um, you know, I mean, realistically, you're looking at if you could win, you know, six or seven games each year and, and if the triple option could do it, it might be tough to sell tickets but you know pe- people I think would buy into winning in any way how if that's what it takes I- I- I'm all set you know just just go for it at that point I-, I would love to see Jeff come in and and uh you know not to mention uh Jalen Daniels uh, KU's current quarterback was recruited by Army yeah you made that point I'd kind of forgotten about that um you know I, I don't know Jeff Munkin personally I just follow right. the program because our, our son went to, went to West Point and uh, I, I think I'm a bigger fan than he is, frankly. He's raising a young family, so he doesn't have much time to watch Army football. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I love what Munkin has done uh, at Army. Um, he runs a tight ship, so to speak, to borrow from the Navy. Um, but he's managed to beat Navy, which is something previous coaches had struggled to do for years. Um, he's, he's had Army in bowl games, and, and that triple option has worked. Now, does that work in the Big 12? You know, I think you you have to also incorporate a passing game as well. In fact, that's how KU's recruited, right? I mean, if you look at the, the, this, these incoming classes, uh, and hopefully, you know, we can keep them together, um, keep the commits coming. But um, I, it would be a unique approach. I think uh, it would be fun. And like you said, if Jeff Munkin comes here and brings the triple option and wins, oh, yeah, fans will come back. That'll be entertaining. <laughs> right. No question. Nope. Now, when we mention interims or possibilities of guys coming back, whatever, um, you know, I actually had this guy on the show just last week, uh, John. I, I would like to see if if Clint Bowen could get involved in some way. He's coming back to Lawrence to take over Lawrence High School. 
And, you know, whether he's an interim or if you just got him as a position coach of some sorts, uh, that, that's a guy that can, you know, people can get the, the KU way back involved of, of what it means to be a Jayhawk and such. If he can be just involved again, I, I would love to see Clint Bowen come back to the program in some way, shape, or form. I'm not sure that, that logistically he can now. He's, he signed on at Lawrence High, and I think it's great to have him back in town. Um, but he can certainly be an ambassador for the program, right? And, and, and perhaps in some way, you know, I think that's a, a big plus to have guys like Clint Bowen, uh, Chris Harris out in San Diego, uh, or LA, I guess. Um, th- these former players who, who have made names for themselves beyond their time at KU, have them, you know, tweeting, posting, um, helping out with the recruiting process, just being ambassadors for the program. I, I agree. And Clint's a great guy. He'd be a, a wonderful addition uh, in one form or another. And, and I would, you know, perhaps on the search committee, maybe, maybe you put him on the search committee if, if, you, if they go that route. I didn't hear a search committee mention. I know they're talking about na- hiring a national recruiting service, but, but, I, but I'm assuming that they might put a group together. And, and, and in fact, Jeff Long said, I'm going to reach out to alumni, former players. Uh, so maybe in that, that role, you know, he can, he can step up and, and help KU uh, not just recruit a coach, but maybe players down the line. But yeah. it's good to have him. It'll be great to have, I know, for Lawrence Hyde to have him back in town. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Yeah. Uh, John, uh, you know, it is March. Uh, you're the Big 12 tournament. Uh, back in uh, Kansas City this week, and I know you guys will be all over that. Uh, first off, you know, here we are right at a year when everything shut down and we saw, you know, the sports world first, uh, the sports world, you know, the day the sports world stood still and then everything else that followed after that. Um, you know, it, it has been a long year for some folks, but here it is. I, I still remember, you know, being right there at Sprint Center, which is now T-Mobile Center, yep. when all this happened. Uh, what, what, a, what a wild ride it's been to, to come full circle just starting there just to get to this point. I retweeted, uh, there's, a, there's a, a Twitter handle, Sports Air and Travel. I don't know if you follow it. It, 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 it tracks teams that are, you know, going to different places across the country. Uh, both professional and college, and they had a, a flight tracker for the Texas Tech Red Raiders coming out of Lubbock on their way to Kansas City for the Big 12. And I retweeted and said, "It's great to have welcome back." You know, I mean, it just you're right. It's uh, they got the two games in on Wednesday night last year, and then uh, uh, Thursday morning, I think there were teams warming up on the court for that first round of games, and they pulled the kids off the court, and the, and the rest is history. And and it, you know, 2020. Uh, went downhill from there for, from a pandemic's point of view. So it's great to have the teams back. Obviously the protocols are in place, limited fans, even the district downtown near the, uh, near the, uh, I about said Sprint Center, T-Mobile Center uh, is, is going to be different. They're not having the pep rallies, the bands. Um, they're not blocked. Well, they're blocking off grand, but they won't have that experience out there. So that's going to be a different field, but the important thing is basketball's back. What's going to be interesting now going forward, we've seen KU now with two players in, in COVID protocol. And if I'm not mistaken, they made it through the entire season without issues, right? I mean, I don't recall. Yeah. So, yeah. so here we are, March Madness, and they have their first example of, you know, a, a, a COVID protocol stepping in. And now we're going to lose two key players, including the guy I think who's been the catalyst for their, for their surge toward the end of the season, David McCormick, won't be playing. You know, so so Coach Self now will have to come up with a different kind of lineup, go small, I guess. Uh, thankfully, they'll be back uh, in time for, for Indianapolis. But just the entire process now going forward of getting through these conference tournaments and then getting into the bubble 
and, and playing the games in Indianapolis and, and its surrounding environment. Um, I think fans are excited about having the games back now, fingers crossed, we can, we can keep them, keep them going and keep all the teams uh, in as long as, as possible, not let COVID-19 be the issue. Right. Well, and, and for Kansas city, the big 12 tournament has become so big and such an annual event. One of the biggest years, uh, biggest events of the entire year for the whole city, it um, is. even with, reduced capacity i imagine there's still excitement just to, to have this back to you know full circle to, to be here from where we were at this point last year no question and and if you know the city you know that the bars and restaurants in this town have, have suffered that they, they were closed for a while then put on limits and and just last week the mayor of kansas city lifted the closing time limit so they're back to normal they're still social distancing but uh, to, to come in alignment with the, the metro counties, uh, Kansas City now is, is, is back to regular hours. So for those bars and restaurants downtown, uh, the, those that have survived, some have definitely not survived this pandemic. This is huge. It's an exciting time. The one that comes to mind is Kelly's in Westport. As you know, that's home to the Iowa State Cyclones. Unfortunately for Kelly's, the Cyclones aren't what they've been in the past for basketball and, right. and may not may not bring the fans as they've had in the past. I hope some Iowa Staters come down. They play obviously Wednesday night. Uh, you know, uh, I'm hoping they'll they'll choose to come down and, and spend some time, even regardless of how long their team stays in. They're great fans. They they like to come and spend their money in Kansas City, and that Cardinal and Gold Green is welcome here as it is for all fans. And I'm going to be down. We're live Thursday night from from downtown the Power and Light District. It'll be a much different scene. Uh, socially distanced tables, reservations. So I'm anxious to kind of see how it plays out. But I think fans and you know weather plays a big role in in that. It's not supposed to be great with rain, but I'm anxious to see what fans do come out. Not not going into the games, but just to be a part of as as many fans are just a part of the scene. The big four. Right. Yeah. And the women are back as well, which is exciting for Kansas City. They'll be playing starting Thursday at Municipal Auditorium. So the men's and women's championships are back in Kansas City together. That's great. That's that's uh, that's fantastic to see. And this KU team, I know you mentioned uh, without David McCormick, uh, playing a lot better basketball as of late, finished the regular season on a high note. And it seemed like it was only a matter of time, John, before this team figured it out but in particular you mentioned it was David McCormick his emergence and then defensively all of a sudden they went from uh, a bad or average defensive team to one of the best in uh, in the whole country when it comes to how well they defended I mean that Baylor game prime example listen if you can't shoot the rock right you better be able to play defense get points in transition uh, create those turnovers and that that kicked in. Bill Self is a big defensive guy, as you know. You've covered him for years. He loves good defense. He loves scoring points off of defense. And then McCormick kind of kind of got his center. He struggled early on. It was, I think, we bought into the hype that he was stronger, better. He he would he would replace Doak, and he struggled early on. Maybe it was the pressure. I don't know. Who knows? But he did gather himself. He 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 seemed to he was he was more sure of himself inside. Uh, and, and how about a guy of his size who hits free throws at the clip he hits, what, like 80% or something like that? You, you don't worry about him going to the free throw line like you do so many big men. So, yes, he was a, a presence. It'll be interesting to see now that the KU will have to step back to that small ball, and we'll see how that works. Um, maybe the rest will be good for McCormick going into Indianapolis. 
Uh, I kind of like seeing a player get into a good rhythm, which he has. Um, and, and I've always said, if, if KU is making baskets, we've seen games like that where they're making baskets. Uh, they're a tough team to beat. Mm-hmm. But if they're not making baskets, if they're not hitting that outside shot, you better have good defense. And that's, you're right. That's what uh, self always seems to get his teams ready for March and, mm-hmm. and one way or another. And it's clearly the defensive end this year. Yeah. One of the things I like about this, this Kansas team, that's a storyline that maybe isn't getting enough coverage. John <laughs> is the local presence. Sure. They didn't get the recruiting class. Maybe they would have liked with the NCAA investigation, you know, looming over them and such. But to have Ochai Abaji leading this team and scoring, you know, a, a Kansas City kid. Missouri kid. Vaughn. Yeah. Kansas City. <laughs> right. Oak yeah. Park. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, Christian Brown, a, uh, you know, Olathe kid and being in that starting lineup. And he's had his moments and such here, too. These two guys, uh, we, we don't talk about that very much. You know, they, they nationally recruit with this basketball program. To have two impact players from right here in the Metro is uh, – really unique uh, for this team. We don't have the one and done this year, right? And and some people have said that's that's a problem. That's been a problem over the years for, for, for Bill Self is you, you feel like you have to compete for that player, right? You have to get that guy. And yet when you do, sometimes they don't live up to expectations. And so this year it's his team. It's 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 a that's talented team, but but not maybe not at that level they've been. And so now it's a coaching thing. It's a growth thing. It's a chemistry thing. And that may play into the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Marcus Garrett's been fabulous uh, down the stretch with his defense, and that's what we expected of him. Um, I think, I think this is a team. You hear the term; it's 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 almost kind of cliche. This is a team you don't want to meet in March. Well, I think that's this Kansas team, and we'll see where they're where they're seated. Three, four line. I, uh, I think Lenardi had them at four on the four line. Was that the latest? I haven't looked, but but this is a team you maybe don't want to meet along the way um they'll be they'll be motivated coach self gets his teams up for march basketball um it's gonna be fun you know it's gonna be weird being in in indianapolis in the bubble like that but uh, i hope they get to stay in indy for a long time right get the most out of indiana make be know the words to uh back home again in indiana (laughs) (laughs) know the meaning of hoosier right exactly all that stuff. I hope they yeah. get to play at Hankel Fieldhouse. And, Wouldn't uh, that be fun? Yeah. Oh, yeah. that'd be fantastic. So, are you driving in? Or are you going to go? Uh, not as of right now. They could okay. change, but not at the moment. I'm not planning to go to Indiana. But yeah, I'm not. I'm not either. I love that they chose a basketball state. Now Kansas could have pulled this off, and that would have been cool to see the state of Kansas do it, or or North Carolina. But if they were going to have a bubble, I'm glad it's in a bas- basketball. Uh, heavy part of the country uh, to, to see that being Indiana. That's well, and I think Indianapolis um, with the NCAA right there, obviously that that's a factor, but they also do have the hotels. The downtown setup is very good. Um, and, you know, enough of the other, like, I guess they're going to play in, at Purdue, I think yeah. is, is one of the sites. Purdue, Indiana, Indiana. And Butler. Yeah. So it's all, it's all fairly reachable, um, you know, so I, I get it, but I do think the basketball tradition there is, is also part of it. Right. I agree. Yeah, yeah no question. Uh, you mentioned at the top, uh, covering the Chiefs in the Super Bowl wasn't the result that uh, you wanted, but uh-huh. uh, nonetheless, uh, a good time down there. When, when I was watching that game, and not to try to bring back too many bad memories for folks, I just couldn't believe what happened that, you know, I thought if they were going to lose, it was going to at least be competitive. That to me is the surprising thing here we are you know over a month later and all this john is just 
Uh, not that they lost, but how bad that happened. I mean, that was just an, yeah. an ugly night. Well, I think I think the offensive line had had held together and, and done a pretty good job up up to that point. I think bend but don't break, and it finally broke. And, and poor Patrick Mahomes was on the run, just trying to find a passing lane, which he's done in the past, and he's talented enough to do, but. Man, it just it, the pressure that, that, that Tampa Bay put on the Chiefs, and, and we knew they had a stellar defense that that was going to be a challenge. I think it, another thing, and I was talking with our sports guy Rob Collins, who was was also on the trip. The Chiefs played the Buccaneers in Week Twelve, right? Right. And torched the Buccaneers. I mean, I know the score was twenty-seven, twenty-four, and the Chiefs kind of held on at the end, mm-hmm. but. I don't think the Buccaneers, you can, you can watch all the film you want, but I don't think you can understand the speed right. like you can until you're on the field. And so going mano, mano, mano with Tyreek Hill, that didn't work, right? He torched them. Well, now you know coming into the Super Bowl, you're not going to do that. You're going to contain Kelsey, uh, and you're going to put pressure on the quarterback. I think if they don't play him in Week 12, it's a better game. I don't think maybe they're aware of the speed factor. Right. Maybe that's oversimplifying it, but I just think that playing the Chiefs in Week 12 gave the Buccaneers a heads up that had they not played them, they they would have been told, oh, yeah, watch out for Tyreek Hill. He's fast. But they knew that going into Week 12, right? And right. they went man for man and got torched. So, All right. I don't know. It might have been – I don't know if the outcome is different, but it would have been, I think, a more competitive game. Right. Well, and, and our expectations have changed so much with this franchise yeah. and this team. Let's the fact it. that – you know, they go down there and lose and, you know, we act like it's the, the end of the world of some sorts, but you know, we're, you know, I'm not trying to sound like happy just to be there of some, you know, but you know, I look at that and, you know, they'll be back. There'll be other chances and such get the best you know player in the world and Patrick Mahomes, you know, there, um, you know, it, it, it sucked what happened, but uh, there, there will be better days ahead. I, I'm, I'm very confident this team's going to be back there very soon. I think so. And, and that's the thing. We all kept waiting for the comeback, right? Right. He's done it before. They've done it before. We got this. Even coming out of halftime, we, you know, we, we felt like, okay, here we go. We got that first drive going there. They had the ball and then it, it sputtered. I will say, I know there was a lot made of the, the flags in the first half and, and even the national analysts were, were not happy with, with how the game was officiated and nobody wants to blame the officials, but the momentum that chiefs never could get into a, a sort of a, a rhythm the Tyron Matthew interception, the the deflected interception, he's had several. He had several of those. That to me, if that stands, that changes the momentum of that game. Now, it doesn't change your offensive line. It doesn't change Tampa Bay's aggressive defense. But the momentum is a big part of sports, as you know. And so maybe the Chiefs turn that into a touchdown, um, and and then then things change. So I won't again. We're not going to blame that, but it's certainly that that inability to get a rhythm going and the one-sided nature of the flags, the hankies in the first half, a little frustrating for sure. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, no, no, no doubt about it. John, we're out of time, but uh, appreciate yeah. you joining us. Yeah. I'm looking forward to uh, coming down this fall and you know, getting the most out of the cooler with you. And then we got Sunday fun day too. So, I mean, we're, I'll have to – I have to come down and just double dip. Man, I have to stay at the Holt House or something. That sounds like great. C- congrats on your new gig. I hope it's going well for you. And uh, keep it up. Keep up the great work. And uh, I'll just say it on the, on the way out here. Rock chalk. Hey, there we go. I like it. John Holt. Follow him on Twitter at John Holt News. And uh, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for joining us.
Big thanks to John Holt for joining us here on the Jones Report today. Tyler Jones, Thomas Bridges, back here with you now. Coach Bo, Brian O'Connor from O'Connor Advisory Group joins us right now. You can check him out online at O'ConnorAdvisoryGroup.com, O-A-G-K-S.com. Also by telephone, 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. By email, brian.oconnor at lpl.com. Bo, appreciate the time as always. Thanks for joining us. What's going on, man? Hey, thank you, Tyler. It was always fun to be on here with you and Thomas. How you guys doing today? Very well. Very well, Bo. And what's going on in O'Connor Advisory Group this week? Hey, we are uh, excited this time of year. You know, we're getting ready. We're in the last stretch before taxes are due. April 15th is coming. So if you've got to take that last minute IRA uh, distribu- uh, uh, deduction, you need that tax deduction, get some money in your IRA for last year, we can still do it. If you're getting money back or you got a little extra stimulus money coming, we would love to put a little something together for you, make sure we can help you kind of stretch that money for the future. So it's a great time. There's, you know, people are going to have some cash, hopefully, and uh, we want to help you. And we want to be your partner, OAGPS.com, OCounteradvisorygroup.com as well. Bo, speaking of uh, money, Dak Prescott, he secured the bag. Four years, $160 million to remain the Dallas Cowboys quarterback. Got probably about $9 million more per year than he would have if he would have signed last year. Jerry Jones stated today that, look – Everything I've wanted in life, I've overpaid for. And it's worked out pretty well for him, was what he was going towards. What do you make of this deal for both Dak and Dallas? So I think it's a good deal both ways. Um, You know, Dak gets the money. You know, he's been grossly underpaid uh, his entire career uh, because of being such a late round pick. And with that, you know, he's, you know, he's got to try to catch up, if you will. You know, he's got to make that money. He got the salary, he got the... um, Franchise tag last year for a big, for a big, for a big bag. But, you know, I'm happy for Dak that he got that money. Um, I pulled his contract. We put over the cap.net or after the, over the cap.com, took a look at the contract. And I thought it was really actually a pretty good contract. Uh, it's a five-year extension and uh, or four-year extension. I'm sorry. And, you know, his cap number is only 22 million in 21 in t- 2021 which for a team like the Cowboys, you need to be a win-now team. That's actually going to be really flexible. Uh, his number next season is going to go to $33 million. And then he has two years on the backside in 2023 to 2024, where he had 44 and $47 million. And what I'll say about that is I think three years from now, in 2023 to 2024, so it's really two seasons in the third season, um, I think that's going to be the going rate for a top 10 quarterback. I think a lot of quarterbacks are going to get 40 million plus in three years. Uh, I know one thing we kind of talked off the air about was the salary caps going to increase drastically in the next couple of years, the new TV contracts, that money is going to get spent on players and quarterbacks are going to be the ones, the best quarterbacks are going to get the most money. And what you're going to see is that there just isn't those top you know, more than top five or six quarterbacks. So really that's going to extend down to about 10 or 12, maybe even 15 guys that end up getting 40 million a year come 2023, 2024. And Dak's getting that. Um, the last thing on this I liked for the Cowboys is that, look, he's your quarterback. He's 28. 
he's your quarterback till he's at least 30, 31. When he's 32 and 2025, he has 13 million in prorated bonus left over. And that will be all the cap money he has left at that time. If there's a time at any point between now and 2025, the Cowboys, if they have some flexibility, can easily get that uh, prorated into a salary piece, get that off the future books. It's a really similar kind of contract to what Deshaun Watson signed last season. Uh, the money's a little better in certain places, but Dak really worked with the Cowboys on this. This is a win-win because it didn't take, you know, the headline is he's getting $76 million this year. Well, his dead money number is $95 million this year, but he's not getting cut. Right. You don't have to worry about that. His salary, his, his full cap number is 22. They really did a good job. This is a, a spot where the team and the player came together and made a contract that's going to get the, pair, the, the player paid what he's worth. And you could argue that he's not worth that, but I mean, he's a top 10 quarterback, so he's worth it. And then from there, it was uh, flexible enough to help the team in those first couple of years where they may need that help if they're going to be competitive. Right. And you look at their division – with Philadelphia playing a second-year quarterback and Jalen Hurts. Uh, you know, we don't know what to make of Daniel Jones, really. He's had some good days. He's had bad days. Washington doesn't have, you know, their quarterback figured out at all by any means. I mean, he's without question the best quarterback in that division. It's not even close. This Cowboys team, I know they're a long ways away. they got a lot of issues to deal with. But the fact that Dallas has their quarterback locked up and, and secured, this bodes well for them. Um, I, I know that historically speaking, Bo, we haven't seen teams with big money quarterbacks lately really succeed and make big runs. You know, uh, you know, the Chiefs obviously just signed Mahomes to that big deal, but he's just now about to start getting that money. Um, what do you think of this for Dallas as far as building and getting towards where they want to go? Can they win uh, consistently with Dak at this high of a level of money he's about to earn? Well, I think you have to, I'm going to take it two parts there. One on the field, can they win with Dak? Yes. Uh, because all they have to do is win their division. Really look at it in football wise, plan on it as the Cowboys need to win their division. Their division's down. The Eagles are horrible. And they're not, and I think the Eagles are the model example of the team that's punting the 2021 season. The Giants are in this cluster of who the heck are they? And they have salary cap issues and they've got a young quarterback who they, they, they may not even really like, but they don't know what to do with that. And then you got Washington who doesn't have a quarterback. And so I, I like you said it like you laid it out pretty well earlier. I think that Dallas is in the best position in the NFC East to win the division. I think that Dak is the best quarterback there. I think he showed how valuable he is to the team just based upon how poorly they played on the field without him this season when he got hurt. I've never seen a player who really had the leverage that Dak Prescott had because he got hurt. Right. And it, that's, that's pretty unusual. He played his hand perfectly. And even getting hurt, he still was able to play that hand out. We should be talking about right now about what Dak Prescott did right and what 
he's wrong. I've heard that, you know, there's some criticism that, well, he isn't that great a quarterback. This is the cost, folks. This is the cost. Now, we've seen, if you want to go back the last 10 years, there's a few teams that, you know, um, when Russell Wilson was young and was on his first rookie contract and Seattle had the great defense, oh, eventually you pay the quarterback, you can't pay the defensive players. That team comes back to the pack. Um, you know, the, the Patriots all those years with Tom Brady, he always took less money so they could pay other players. And they usually brought in players for one or two years and shuffled a lot of people in and out. If Dallas can figure out their cap a little bit and Dak's given them that first couple of years of flexibility, they can attack. And really all they're wanting to do, win the division and get into the playoffs and then see what happens. Because it's not guaranteed. The team that goes 13-3 and or 14-2 is not guaranteed to win. Yeah. Dallas has been that team before. Who just won the Super Bowl? Tampa. And in what position were they in the, in the playoffs? They were the five seed. Didn't yes. even win their division. Yeah. Didn't even win the division. Get in the division. Get into the playoffs. And that's what Dallas just did. They said, we know that Dak is the way we get into the playoffs. We'll see what happens from there. So the, for people who say, and I've heard the hot take people, oh, he isn't worth that money. Tell me a quarterback in the top 10, of the top 10 quarterbacks in the league, who isn't. Right. They're yeah. all worth it. All the best quarterbacks are worth it. He's in that group. I don't see a problem at all. I think it's a really good contract. This is, a, this is an idea where a player wanted to play for a franchise and a franchise wanted a player. Say what and that's great to see. Say what you want about Dallas, but essentially what they've done is they've said, we're going to pay $40 million, assuming Dak is healthy, to make the playoffs every year. Yeah. That's what they're trying to go for, essentially. Yeah. That's the, bad the, their division is. That's essentially the, what they've done. The great part of it is for the Cowboys is that they can start voiding years when Dak is 32 years old. So Dak's going to – I know he said today he hated the term betting on himself when it was, you know, compared to last year, but he can bet on himself again. He can double down. And if he decides if he's playing well, the Cowboys are going to have to give him a bigger bag when he's 32. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They'll still have a couple of great, you know, a great prime years there. I don't see where this is a loss for anybody. And for anybody that says this was a, that the Cowboys took it on the chin or that's not worth it. They just don't know what the hell they're talking about in this case. This was a really good deal. And we talked last week. This is the only big contract that's going to happen this offseason. Right. And he got the money. We, we talked last week. I thought he would. I thought it would actually be a longer contract. But this is clearly two, two sides that went together and said, let's make this work. So that's one quarterback off the market now. And we still wonder what's going to happen with – Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson. Obviously, in the case of both those guys, they would need to be traded if they are moved. Does Dak's contract, does his situation have any effect on those two guys? Not on Watson, because Watson's contract's almost identical. Uh, the biggest thing on Watson is that his salary cap this year, his number this year is um, actually higher. Uh, I don't see that happening right now. I, I don't see that hurting Watson at all. The only issue with Watson's contract in a trade is a dead money piece going back to the Texans 
But if they're in a, in a position now where they got no choice, they have to make this trade, then they're going to make the trade. Um, and then in the case of Russell Wilson, whoever trades for Russell Wilson is going to ask that he get extended. Russell's going to ask for it. Um, and he and the other team is going to ask for it. Um, I haven't pulled his contract, but um, he's going to get he's going to get a couple more years at it, I would think, because he's looking at the guys who are now pulling, you know, forty million and going, "Hey, I want that money too." And I, I can see that piece. Russell Wilson's thirty three. Uh, I got his contract pulled up now. He's got five more years. His highest cap number is 22 million his highest salary moving forward is 22 million uh he only has a i'm sorry he has three more years in the contract i'm looking at this backwards here he has 2021 22 23 he'll be 35 at the end of his contract he's though he's owed 19 19 and 22 in base salary and he has 39,000 39 million more in bonus that still hasn't been amortized. Now, the way you fix that for a trade of Russell Wilson is that you extend the contract two or three more seasons. That'll be a little tougher because he's going to be 37 and 38 at that time. You put the big bonus on year two of the contract, and then you make the trade. So that'll be a little more complicated there. But um, that the contender will be the one who takes Russell Wilson. If Russell Wilson goes anywhere, it's going to a contender, a team that thinks they can make their run right now. If it's Deshaun Watson, it's a team who can either be a contender now or thinks they will be in two and three years. So any team can really jump into the Deshaun Watson thing because the Texans have to eat that contract. Given Russell Wilson's situation, He's going to, if he, if a trade does happen, and I don't think it's going to, I don't think Russell Wilson's getting traded. Um, I would be somewhat shocked by that. Um, if he does get traded, it will be after an extension and all the salary cap bonus will be in year two. Okay. So there you have it. Brian O'Connor, O'Connor Advice Group joining us here on the Jones Report for Coach Bo's Football Fix. Let's I have uh, one, more, one more piece on that, though. Go I ahead. I'll tell go you. Ahead. There are two teams, salary cap-wise, who are making a run at these two quarterbacks, though. Watch. My prediction, if one of them gets traded, they're either going to the Raiders or the Panthers. Okay. And here's where I'm at. So I looked at the cap. In the last three days, the Raiders have traded Trent Brown, cut Richie Incognito, and LaMarcus Joyner, and they have saved $30 million in salary cap room. They are already eight million under. They're eight million under the new number. It tells me they're going to make a trade for a quarterback. Now, if they do the quarterback thing, they can also release Marcus Mariota. That saves him ten million more to the cap. He most likely is going to get released, uh, if not traded. And um, Derek Carr can be let go uh, or put into a trade, and it would only cost him two million dollars in salary cap money. So I suspect if a trade is made, it could be a three-way deal that includes the Raiders where one of those two quarterbacks gets sent out and the other gets released. The other one is the Carolina Panthers. They got helped out today by uh, McCaffrey and Shaq Thompson both restructuring their contracts. 
giving the Panthers flexibility on their 2021 cap. That would help them free up enough money to include Teddy Bridgewater in a trade. Okay. So that's where some of the geek stuff there, but that's where if one of those two quarterbacks is getting traded, that's a home for voice one of them. All right. Well, uh, we'll move on. You mentioned the salary cap going down, going from 198 to 182. Pat McAfee and others are dubbing this week as Massacre Week across the NFL with as many cuts that are going on, players uh, being shipped out. And, you know, I've always thought, Bo, that, that sports are very similar to life. And one of the biggest examples of that is we're seeing right now who's taking the hit with the salary cap cut. It's the middle-class players, as we see in life. And sure enough, it's these guys making five, seven, eight, nine, ten million dollars that are the ones getting caught, that are going to have to take the pay cuts, that are going to have to move on of sorts here. And there's a lot of good talent that is, that is being let go from everywhere across the league right now. Yeah, unbelievable what's happened in the last few days. You know, um, I mean, just Kyle Van Noy gets released today. Um, Riley Reed from the Vikings. That's $11 million the Vikings just saved. Uh, Kenny Vaccaro, John Brown, Emmanuel Sanders, uh, Carlos Dunlap today, Richie Incognito, Alex Smith got released, uh, Golden Tate, Jared Cook, Desmond Trufant, Kyle Rudolph, Greg Olson. I mean, there are so many names of guys who got released. And you go, wow. I mean, J.J. Watt got released. And they call it a mutual deal, but it's a release. And it, it's a, it is, you know, we talk about the NFL, the quarterbacks are the highest paid, and then the, the guys who are the two or three best in each position, the guys who are franchise tag quality players. And then from there, you have the have-nots. And you're right. Those are the guys getting squeezed in this deal right now. And I just cannot believe some of these names that I've seen. I, I just can't believe that I've seen this many players get cut. And, and we, saw, we thought this was coming. We talked about this the last couple of weeks. Uh, just to see some of these names, and a few of these actually surprised me when I saw a few of them, and I was like, wow. And it's just because of money. And a lot of these guys are going to sign one-year deals somewhere else, and then in 2022, when the new salary cap comes out and new TV revenue comes in, we're going to have 32 drunken owners. And they're going to spend like drunken owners. They're going to be like drunken sailors in a bar. And the players will catch up a little bit. But for 2021, they're not catching up. Sorry. Yeah, that's a lot of money. Uh, that's, you know, we're, we're looking at it, some big changes here. And who do you see as far as teams benefiting from this lower cap of being able to sign players for a discount or loading up on their roster? Who do you think is uh, in good position with this new cap going forward to make a move? Number one team that I think is in a great position is the New England Patriots. We kept saying all year long that Belichick is playing chess while everybody else is playing checkers, and he sure was here. They are in an incredible salary cap place. Uh, let me pull this back up here. They are currently, as it stands, $58 million under the cap. Wow. Yeah, I saw how eyes big your eyes got. And after well, 
eight million of that is going to go. Eight million of that's going to go to Trent Brown. I just made okay. the trade for Trent Brown. That has not been updated here yet, uh, that because I couldn't go through yet. When that happens, that'll be eight million of it. They will work a deal for a quarterback. It'll be a veteran. Be my be something. Go. I think there. I wouldn't even be surprised if it's a wait till after June first, when there'll be even more cuts. I mean, this is just the first round of bludgeoning. There'll be more June first when other bonuses get paid. So there's no dead, so there's less dead cap money. Um, the number one team, I think, again, that's going to be that is the Patriots. They're going to reload. The one that I think is going to happen, I think Kenny Galladay is going to go there. I think they're going to sign uh, a big time wide receiver. They'll get a quarterback. And they've got so many players that sat out last year who are coming back. So, I mean, Buffalo better be worried because the Patriots are going to be good again. We still know who that quarterback is that's going to be leading them. I think it might be Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah. That would be uh, something if that's the case. What of, of those players that were cut? You mentioned Kenny Galladay is certainly one that is uh, going to be well sought after. Who do you think uh, elsewhere among some of those other players that, uh, that could find uh, some good landing spots? They'll be heavily desired. Let me get this up again here. Um, Kenny Galladay is the guy I think is going to be a huge one. I think he's going to have a lot of suitors. Um, the other guys I think you're going to see, um, uh, Quan Short, who's got cut by the Panthers, I think it's going to be someone that people look at. Um, I expect A.J. Green to get a big one-year deal, probably for someone maybe like an indie is a good fit there. Uh, New Orleans might be a decent fit if he'll take a little less money because they just cut Emmanuel Sanders. Um uh, Shaquille Barrett from, from uh, the Buccaneers. Um, Patrick Peterson's out there now since his contract expired. Um, I suspect that he's going to end up going somewhere. Same thing with Carlos Dunlap. Uh, Quan Alexander on the Saints, who's recovering from an Achilles injury. He's about to get cut. I expect him to go somewhere. A lot of guys like that. You know, they're not going to be these spectacular young superstars. None of those guys are available. The, probably the best of those is Kenny Galladay. And I think I just really rate him a lot higher than most, but a lot of tackles. We've seen a lot of tackles, a lot of guards, a lot of really good offensive linemen are out there. And that's going to be big. That's why, you know, I predicted a couple of weeks ago that the chiefs are going to make a couple of cuts. I think that's still coming. And I think this is the reason why there's so many guys out there. Guys will want to play with Mahomes, and you can go get a guy for a lot less, even if it's right. for a year. Right. I mean, Anthony Sherman, I know he retired, but I think that was a situation where he didn't want to play for somebody else, where he knew he was about to, you know, not have a, a place of some sorts in, in that type of situation. Uh, with, with all that being said, here, here's what I wonder with these guys, Bo. Um, you know, you, you look at these guys that are, are going to make less this year, that are going to get cut. Is, is there any of them that – have another chance to make money, significant money again down the road? Or is this just it for these guys? Are they just going to have to settle for this amount for a while? What's it, is it, is this the end, end road for big money for some of these guys now? No, no, I think the opposite. I think that it's going to be a one-year deal. I think this is, I think because the cap went down, it went down 8%. And, and, and for people who don't know, the reason that the salary cap went down is the players are guaranteed 
50% of all previous year revenue that's divided amongst 32 teams. That estimate is what the salary cap is. Now, next season in 2022, the new TV contracts come in. Plus now fans will be going back to games. So you have that revenue. You're going to see a lot more money and 50%, 50 cents on every dollar the NFL brings in has to be spent toward players in the means of the salary cap. By doing that, you're going to see players' contracts actually go up. Now, the things, the drastic ones are going to be the quarterbacks. You're going to see more quarterbacks getting bigger contracts. But what you will see in the offseason next year, like I kind of mentioned earlier, you know, 32 drunken sailors trying to compete for players. That's what it's going to be. It's going to be a beauty contest, and everyone's going to be throwing dollar bills like a strip club next year. People are going to get paid next season. So if you're one of these players, like a Kyle Van Noy or um, Hunter Henry, who's out there right now, who got who, his contract expired, they didn't get he didn't get tendered. These guys are going to make. They're not going to get these huge contracts. They probably deserve for their position. They're going to sign one year deals, maybe a two year deal, so it's for salary cap purposes, and then get released after the first year. And then back into the pool in 2022, and there'll be so many of them that, and there'll be so much money to spend that the guys who are under 35 are going to get more money. Ron O'Connor with us as it is Coach Bo's football fix. Let's transition talk about the TV contracts. That's been a big topic of discussion with that being effect on the salary cap going up. And we don't see any new networks in the TV deals. You're not going to see Ernie Johnson calling NFL games on TNT. That's not happening. Um, But we do see that the current partners are going to be paying significantly more than what they are paying currently for the same packages. Now, a few changes. Thursday night football, uh, Fox is not going to be a part of. Looks like Amazon's going to have exclusive rights to that. And they're going to get more exclusive games uh, compared to not having to share as much with NFL Network as as we usually see. NFL Sunday ticket is still up for grabs. ESPN going to do some simulcasting of Monday Night Football on ABC already more than they do before. Uh, These these big changes, these networks here, uh, throwing a lot of money out there for for the league here as uh, we continue to see this uh, go on. What stands out to you about these new deals? So they're all going to be huge. Uh, you know, ever since we go back, you know, now a generation when Fox took over the old package from NBC, um, when they bought the NFC and they just kind of game changed it by giving that big dollar amount. Um, I was hearing some of the things I heard already were a hundred percent increase. Now, if people don't understand the biggest part of revenue for sports is TV revenue. It's not even and in the NFC. Yeah, and, and in the NFL, it's different than Major League Baseball and, and a couple others, and maybe the NBA is a little bit like this too, where you have local revenues. You don't have that in the NFL. It's all packaged up to that one game a week for each, for each team and where you've got them. So we know Fox is going to keep the NFC. That's kind of how it's packaged. They're going to pay almost double what they're paying now. They'll be in the rotation for the Super Bowl, same as they are now. Now, the big fights right now, the uh, CBS will keep the AFC. It's actually been really good for them, uh, especially now when you've got teams like the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen in Buffalo. And that's what these people are looking for. They're looking for that one-star player they can build a build a game around. 
Uh, they want people to watch. The reason this is so important to the networks and to these carriers is that the NFL in, the, in America, in the United States, is the a one appointment television. No TV show compares. Nothing out there that's streaming or anywhere else compares. And, you know, we all have our likes and dislikes, but I'll tell you, nothing compares. And people want to advertise there. Right. And it's um, the best way to promote what you got going on in your network. How many times yeah. have we seen these WWE commercials during in, on Fox games? It's a or great example. 60 Minutes would not be the program it is today without le- having all those lead-ins from the NFL. And that goes back to the 1980s. Yeah. I mean, CBS has been around, or 60 Minutes has been around since the 70s. And in the 80s, it was always after the last CBS football game. And when their ratings went down a little bit in the 90s was when CBS didn't have football. And so now you're going to see this a little bit. And CBS is going to keep their package. They're going to pay double. Fox is going to do the same thing. Now, ABC, which is owned by Disney, as we all know, they're fighting right now. They're fighting the NFL over two points. One, what to do with Monday night football. Nobody else really wants to get into Monday night football, but ESPN doesn't like that Monday night football does not have the marquee games that it used to before NBC gave a whole bunch of money to Sunday night football. If you can recall, you know, 15 years ago, before NBC bought Sunday night football, the Sunday night game that used to be on Turner Networks and TNT and and TBS, yeah, they weren't very good. Uh, They were just, you know, kind of divisional games. That's where you used to see, you know, used to see Buffalo and the Jets or, you know, it was always a division rivalry game. Well, now it's the marquee game. It's the highest rated program in America is Sunday night football. Yeah, Monday night football for generations was bigger than Sunday night. That's changed. And now ESPN's not happy. They want better games. They want to be able to put a better product on. But the other thing that Disney and ESPN's fighting is they want into the Super Bowl. They want to put a Super Bowl on ESPN. And the NFL has never allowed it. They've never allowed to have a Super Bowl on a cable network. It's the highest rated program every single year. It has been for however many years. I mean, even the one-off thing like a Seinfeld, you know, finale or a MASH finale, that's the only times you ever beat the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. And even Seinfeld couldn't do that 25 years ago. You you look at those things. The Super Bowl's D1. So it's got to be on ABC, CBS, Fox, NBC. But now who we are is we're changing. We're not just watching TV through terrestrial TV or cable anymore. A big segment of our country has cut the cord. Right. We stream. And whether that's ESPN Plus or Disney Plus or now Peacock or Paramount Plus, now all these companies are having to pay more for games because Paramount Plus wants to put all the CBS games on. Fox is trying to figure out what they're going to do for streaming football games because they're going to have the contract, but they got to get a platform to put it on. Right. And then ESPN wants really bad to have a Super Bowl. Right. And even so, uh, ESPN is saying, we'll take it on ABC, you know, whatever it may be. We just want in one way or the other. They would love to have it on ESPN. That's likely not going to happen. But yeah, ABC, they said, like, we just want in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. 
And where ESPN can play hardball is simply just one thing. They could go in and say, and it, what the reason that ESPN pays so much for that Monday night package is it also includes a lot of exclusive content that they get from NFL films, cooperation from the NFL as far as highlights and the different things they do. ESPN's become big enough around every other uh, sports network now that they could say to the, to the NFL, no, we don't want to do this. And if they do that, they could go save a bunch of money, give the Big Ten a bunch of money. They already got the SEC coming over you know, for football. Right. They can give more money to Major League Baseball. They just signed a hockey deal today. Mm-hmm. So now ESPN has a little bit of a little bit of wiggle room here. I don't suspect that's going to happen. I think what what ESPN and ABC are going to do is they're going to make a deal. They're going to pay more. They're going to have even more stuff from the NFL. And I think that we're going to see a Super Bowl on their networks. And I know you mentioned ABC. I think we're going to see a Super Bowl in the next five to seven years on ESPN. Uh, if it's on ESPN, I think it's also simulcast on ABC. I don't see, I, could, I don't see well, ESPN exclusively getting a Super Bowl. Here's uh, what I can see them doing: I can see them making the deal, and then telling the NFL, "We'll do it, and we'll make ESPN Plus free that month." Yeah, maybe so. Uh, so but yeah. another part of this that's so fascinating is. The NFL seems like uh, the league that cares the most about the broadcast production. Remember in the Thursday night contract, how it was written up when it was with CBS first, and then when it was shared with NBC and CBS and now Fox, they wrote up the contract. Those networks had to use their A team to call Thursday night football. Now you see that if Amazon takes over the Thursday night package, They don't have in-house production. They're going to have to find somebody to do their games. Um, You know, ESPN, you know, Levy and Riddick and Greasy were much improved from Booger, you know, previously and Jason Witten, but it still wasn't great. I can't imagine any of those guys, maybe Riddick, but I bet he's going to be GM by then calling a Super Bowl. Jim Nance's contract is up with CBS and they're playing hardball with him a bit too. Um, I, it's this is huge of where these guys end up, what the broadcast ends up being. I mean, the, the, the guys that your A teams on NFL games are as popular as any personalities on television right now, because as you mentioned, Bo, it's the only appointment viewing. I mean, just a casual football fan knows who, you know, Joe Buck is or Al Michaels. I mean, this is a big deal for these networks who they put in front to call their games. It, it is. And, you know, each franchise, if you will, has their A guys. You know, it, it, at, at Fox, it's, you know, uh, Buck and Aikman. At CBS, it's currently Nance and Romo. Uh, I think on the Nance thing, he just wants as much money as Romo's getting. I think he's a little pissed that Romo's getting that much money because <laughs> he's, get, he's getting an insane amount of money to be, to be, to be announcing football games. Um, you know, on Monday, on Sunday night, you've got, you know, Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth, and they're basically an institution now. Uh, somehow Chris Collinsworth has become that. Ooh, he, his voice just drives me crazy. Um, and Monday here's night, is guy. that one? What's that? Here's a, yeah. here's a Madden. Um, but 
they got Monday night and you got this like Steve Levy, um, uh, Lewis Reddick and Brian Greasy. Now they put Levy and, and Greasy have been together for years calling college games and they're really good. Um, Levy, Steve Levy is so good as an announcer. He is criminally underrated. I was happy for him. He got Monday night football. Adding Lewis Reddick was a really smart move. He's yeah. incredible. But Brian Greasy's not that good. I mean, he's, 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 he's good. He's fair. He would be a two or three everywhere else, but he's not the guy. And a lot of that is ESPN's tried so hard the last couple of years to get Peyton Manning. They want Peyton Manning so bad. You know, they had to settle on Jason Witten last year. And then, you know, they had him and Booger McFarlane. And, you know, that was kind of a guess. And they've, I mean, in the last did. 10 or 12 years, they really haven't figured out what they haven't found the right mix. Well, and here's how serious they are about this. ESPN tried to buy Sean McVay out of the Rams contract and convince him to come do Monday Night Football. I mean, they were willing to put up more money than even the Rams were to have McVay coach. I mean, that's how serious that this is to get these personalities in the booth. Yeah, the the best one that ESPN's had in the last 10 years was John Gruden. No question. And And if they could have kept John Gruden... It would have been, they'd have been spectacular. If they could have kept Mike Tirico and John Gruden, it would have been great. Um, but John Gruden got that coaching. News. I understand that. Can you imagine when Gruden's done with the Raiders, the type of money he, the networks are going to throw at him? Oh, a tremendous amount. It, whenever he decides to walk away from coaching and go back to the broadcast booth, someone's going to back up a Brinks truck to his house. Because he can go back and not only because think about what is it they need. They need two things. They need somebody who can, one, attract an audience and keep an audience. He's got a personality. People love that. Two, you got to fill in content. And John Gruden can give you content. I mean, he had his quarterback shows. and People loved that. I loved that. That was great. That was the best thing that ESPN's done in years. They could go in and put do that with John Gruden and keep doing it and do it over and over and over again. Um you know, I wonder, I know that, you know, NBC's got Drew Brees uh, starting next season if he does retire, which better get that done soon. Um, I know he, Drew Brees is going to sign with NBC. I think he's eventually uh, Collinsworth's replacement if he does well during Notre Dame games. Yeah. Um, so you kind of see that happening. The big thing also, I mean, there's two big things. I mean, you have the thing was, what's ESPN going to do with Monday Night Football? If they do get in the rotation for the Super Bowl, who is the play-by-play guy? If they do it, unfortunately, Steve Levy's gone. Yeah. He will not get that job. But for Steve Levy, that'll be okay now that ESPN just got hockey, and Steve Levy loves hockey. They'll make him the voice of their hockey. It'll be great for him. For Steve well, Levy. and in Levy, I think there's a good chance that he's the next studio host for ESPN. They shift him to that role where he's more of a natural from his sports center days. Um, the studio host role is just as good as the play-by-play role. Um, you know, people you know, look at, you know, what Bob Costas and Al Michaels did and measure them equally for their time on NBC. Um, here's, here's a question. I'll start with this and then I'll go to another one here. We'll go around the room. Who is the best crew on TV right now? I think it's Nance and Romo. I wasn't a huge Jim Nance fan when he was paired with Phil Sims, but he got a lot better just working with Romo compared to Sims. That's my favorite. Tom, who's your favorite crew right now? 
I think we uh, we lost him. We'll uh, we'll go with you, Paul. Who's the who's the best crew in TV right now? You think? Boy, I think when you just you think about who's the being the play by play guy is really hard. It's more than just calling the action. Um, as you know, people who listen to this podcast know you and I have done games together. And yeah, it, being a point guard, you have to do so much stuff. That job's harder. Um, the 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 analyst, quote unquote, the color guy, he always gets all the credit. Because it's easy and he can like he can like everybody. Um, I think that I think Joe Buck's the best play-by-play guy, but I think that Romo's better than Aikman. And so I think the difference between Buck and Nance is so small that the difference between Aikman and Romo is I would take the CBS crew. Okay, um, sorry guys, I got hung up there. Uh, my favorite crew by far is the uh, the Lawrence High streams of Bo and Tyler together. <laughs> That's great, those answer. are my favorite. Great answer. two guys I know. Yeah, I mean I don't know anybody else personally. Hey man, put the jelly on the bread. <laughs> this bread. guy, we would call games together, and he would do demos on me in the booth that no one could see, and, and I'd get shoved in the booth. I'm like, what are we doing here, Bo? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> who, who, who is uh, your favorite of the current ones, Tom? You know, I think they could just if, – if the money worked out right, if it if – it, you know, they paired them up right. Oh, you know, trying to think. If, if I could make – I guess it's – I guess I'd have to pick my pair. I'd, just because Tony Romo does so well, I like you mentioned, you're not a huge fan of Jim Nance. I'm not the biggest Jim Nance fan either, but Tony Romo, it's kind of like LeBron, right? LeBron makes everybody around him better. I, I could be in the booth with Tony Romo and y'all would like me. I think there's <laughs> something to that, Thomas. I do. I think there's, there's something to that. I think that Tony Romo has made Jim Nance better. Yes, 100%. Because there's an excitement that if you ever listen to Jim Jim Nance, because he calls so much golf as well, right? he just has this subdued voice, and he, it, and it's it's not as exciting. But he's got Tony Romo shaking him, saying, look at this, oh, look at this. And, and the one thing I'll say from this past year in 2021 compared to 2020 is it's clear that CBS is trying to get Romo to calm down. Mm-hmm. Now, now, a point I'll make here, it's – I'm I'm a huge fan of Jim Nance golf, obviously. Yeah, but football is a little bit different. But Bo, you make a good point. Tony does kind of hype him up, kind of yeah. lets him loose. It's like it's like the, the shower. You know, if the water pressure is not right, and you fix it. Jim Nance is bad water pressure for football. <laughs> but as soon as Tony gets that water pressure right, then it all you're we're we're talking fifty psi all night. Yeah. Okay, and I just, so here's here's the next question then. Um, let let's say that you have to fix the Monday night booth before they get a Super Bowl contract, but for all intents and purposes, let's say you have to use ESPN employees because we don't know how you know if Jim Nance is really going to leave CBS or not, or if Brad Nessler is going to be available, or if you know Al Michaels is going to be whatever it may be. Let's just say you have to use ESPN employees. And you have to redo the Monday night booth. Here's what I would do, guys. No, I knew you were going to try to go first because we're going to answer this the same way. No, I actually would be surprised if we answer this the same way. I would pull Mike Breen from the NBA as Ooh. my play-by-play guy. 
Can you imagine okay. when he does a touchdown call if he said, bang, <laughs> okay. from downtown? You know, I mean, Mike Breen called football games in the 90s, and it was great. He's already in-house. He's got the excitement level. Mike Breen would be phenomenal. Um, then I would add, I would keep Lewis Riddick, and I would add Pat McAfee. That would be my booth, is Mike Breen, Lewis Riddick, and Pat McAfee. I would trust that crew to do a Super Bowl. I think it'd be phenomenal. All right, Bo, who you got? Okay, so the easy answer is you move um, Fowler and Herb Street and you put Lewis Riddick with him. Um, I really like your idea. I love anything Pat McAfee. I freaking love Pat McAfee. I think he's an incredible choice. Um, I think what I would do is I'd put Fowler on there. Um, Herb Street's still a college guy to me. He just always will be. I think it's, he's, he's comfortable there too. And I think he's one of the best ever at the college game and what he does. Um, I think I would go Chris Fowler with, I would definitely keep Lewis Riddick as long as I could. I just think he's really, really good. Yeah. I, man, Matt, if you could have Pat McAfee, it's a tough one. Um, you know, I guess technically Peyton Manning works for ESPN. So he, um, oh, he does, he's doing yeah. his show. So I'll take Peyton Manning. Okay. Um, but that would be the three I would put. Pat McAfee's a really good choice, though. Okay, Tom, you can only pick ESPN employees. Who's the Monday night booth to call the Super Bowl? To call the Super Bowl. All right. Hmm, let me think. So, I like Lewis Riddick, too. Okay. Um, But if I had to switch it up, if I had to switch it up, and you can keep Lewis if you or any of those guys if you want to keep anybody. I'll take Chris Fowler. Okay. Chris Fowler. And then um, I'm trying to think. Can they – I guess he, technically he's retired. Can I put him on there, though? Who, who There's no rules. Go for it. Boomer. Oh, no. Chris Berman? Uh, Chris Berman's not – he I'm, came out of retirement to do primetime. You're not going to have a booth, though, with Berman and Chris Fowler, two play-by-play guys. you got to pick one or the other. Okay, then I'm taking Boomer. <laughs> I, I'd like to – I would like to make one change to mine now that I think about okay, it. Okay, go ahead. I, I like Chris Fowler. You went off the board with Mike Breen. How about how about Boog Shiambi? Okay. I don't think I've ever heard Boog Shambi call football before. But I never have either, but he can do baseball and basketball. Why couldn't he do football? Yeah, sure. And he's really good. Again, I want the point guard. I want the guy who can do everything. That guy's really good. Okay. He's All really, right. And he's got personality. He can tell stories. Sure. I like him a lot. That that one came to mind when Thomas was talking. So I okay. wanted to bring so that Tom's one got up. Chris Berman. Who you got for the others? Uh, Are you keeping Lewis Riddick? Yeah, Lewis has to stay. Okay. And then. And that could be it, too. It could just be Lewis is the one. I, yeah, see, I like I, – I would do that. And then, you know what I would do for the third? I would, I would do a wild card, a new person every week. <laughs> <laughs> kind of mix tough. it up a little bit. That'd be tough because you have to have – when you're in the booth – I mean, you have you to build some know chemistry. I get that. I get that. Yeah, maybe that's not the best. It's just so tough timing-wise. You have to, I mean, you have to know, kind of know what the other person's thinking 
Right. And you have to know when to lay out and when not to. Right. Well, ESPN people, they just need to get some better people in there. I, You know, if we could just do, like, dream lineup, like Kevin Harlan needs to be calling all the games. Yes. He's great. 100%. He's I mean. Oh, if, if they can pick up, like, you know, guys that aren't on a main, you know, package, I'm calling up Kevin Harlan and Kurt Warner to be my A team to call Monday Night Football. If, if you're just going, like, the free agent market of guys that are on A team. Okay, and we're going to do a free agent market here. You, you like Kevin Harlan. I like Kevin Harlan, too. I'll tell you who I'll take as an analyst, though. Okay. Aqib Tlaib. Ooh. Huh. He, he's good. He is. He's great. Aqib Tlaib is going to be the guy who's going to get the bag. Someone's <laughs> going to pay him a load of money. Maybe he should just be the next Kansas football coach instead. I mean, no, no, no. I, 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 that'd be awesome, first off. But secondly, yeah, he would bring Rick Ross back to campus. <laughs> <laughs> but man, Keep to Leave is so good. And I don't I don't think I've seen anybody who gets it as quickly as he does since Romo. I mean, him and Romo, Romo got it quick, but Talib is so smart and he's defensive smart. And you never yeah. see that in the booth. All right. Oh, he would. We, we could go on with this all day uh, as three broadcasters giving our opinions on this. Last question for you, Bo. Uh, the XFL, talking about a merger with the CFL of sorts here. What do you make of these negotiations uh, between these two leagues right now? Okay. So I haven't seen – I know they're talking, but it's not a merger. I've heard that already. They said it's not a merger of the two leagues. Um, here was my question. When is the – is the XFL going to stay in the spring? Yes. And the CFL plays in the summer. Yes. So it's going to be a feeder. They're going to use the XFL as a developmental system. For the CFL? Yeah. Well, what's the, why, would, why would anyone want to watch fourth-rate football at that point then? Well, here's the gimmick. Here's what I would do if I was the Rock and I owned the XFL. I would turn the XFL football into eight-man ball. <laughs> And you coached, you coached eight man, right? I've coached eight man. I'm telling you, it's fun. Everyone, it's all offensive. You score a lot of points. You basically take two tackles out. So now you have less players on the field and you're generally speaking, going to have one less receiver, one less eligible player and the two left, like the two offensive tackles out, basically two down linemen and one DB out. So what you'll see is a, an exciting, fast-paced, like a seven-on-seven seven type of game. And you'll see high scoring. People like touchdowns. They like points. And you don't play it on as big a field. You, the field's not as wide, and it's an 80-yard field, not a 100-yard field. If I was the XFL, if I wanted to be different, I would play eight-man ball. Now, that's what arena ball is, but I wouldn't play the arena ball. I mean, you just – you're going to play on a regular eight-man size field and run it out there. You're going to have games where people are scoring 30 and 40 points every week, and it'll be exciting, and people will like it. People will show up to the games. They'll want to watch it because there's lots of points, and you'll see um, uh, higher TV ratings in that case. That's the way – that's the thing I – that's like the wild card. I know that's a crazy idea, but if I was the XFL, that's what I would do. Because you really can't pay that many players either. You also get to save 
at least six starters money wise. So now I can take my, I can take my roster down in size. I don't have as many expenditures. I'm an up and coming league. I don't want to spend as much money, you know, as a guy who was a lineman and, you know, I like linemen, but you know, yeah, we're going to take those players out because they're just frankly not as exciting. It's not what football people want to watch. No one's paying to watch Trent Brown play. If they were, the Raiders wouldn't have traded him. I mean, really, statement naming the last offensive lineman anybody paid to watch play. <laughs> I'll wait. Uh, no, no one. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so there you go. So that's what I would do. I would, I would, I would, I'd make, I'd make the XFL eight man ball. That'd be interesting. Um, we'll see. But you, you know, don't like my idea. I can see it in your face. It's an interesting idea. I don't hate it, Why but I don't love it either. I'm just kind of undecided in all honesty. Are you going to have quarterbacks just flinging the ball all over the field? Who doesn't like that? Hey, are you a Big 12 football guy? Yes. You know what the Big 12 is? Yeah, they play it's great. A big boy defense, version but... of eight man ball. <laughs> it's a big boy version of eight man ball. They just fling the ball all over the field aimlessly. Oh, uh, yeah, maybe so. I, I, I just I, my unfamiliarity with eight man personally. I haven't seen eight man, so that's where it, it, I, I'm very. It's, exci- it's exciting. It's exciting when you know what because uh, a really good defense does not necessarily win a game. Because what you're trying to do a lot of times is just get to the outsides. Again, the fields aren't as big. They're Instead of being 52 yards or 50 yards wide or 40, and you've only got an 80-yard playing field. So the midfield's the 40. But everything else is the same. Maybe KU will move eight, man. (laughs) What did you say? Maybe maybe KU will move eight, man. Hey, you know what? It might not hurt right now. That'll become a triple option team. Hey, sometimes it looks like KU's playing with only eight guys on the field. Yeah, I I don't know. Is KU going to find an AD and a head coach now? (laughs) Oh, boy. That's uh... – You know, I've lived here in Lawrence, Kansas for 20 years, and I've never offered my services to the University of Kansas. But, hey, I'll do both jobs. There you go. You pay me to be the head coach, and I'll be the AD for free. That's a deal. And That's be, ridiculous. That's I'll, beyond ridiculous. I'll be your uh, your special teams coordinator. <laughs> and, and then you can I'll have your own be, mac and cheese at 23rd Street Brewing. And Coach I'll Bo, be, mac and cheese. I'll oh, be your God, special I don't know what teams the, coordinator, and I'll be the play-by-play guy. Since uh, mm-hmm. I don't do much as special teams coordinator, I could still call the game, too. You're going to be able to call my special teams plays from the booth? Yeah. <laughs> Tyler, I need a fake punt here. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> Or, or I announce uh, on the radio, uh, now the play call I just sent in, we're going for a fake punt. Let's see how it works. We'll fake this thing. Yeah. <laughs> the other team calls a timeout. I'm yelling up at this crowd. God damn it. <laughs> That's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. <laughs> on that note, we got to go. Brian O'Connor, O'Connor Advisory Group, OAGKS.com, O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com. Bo, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks, guys. Y'all have a great week. A couple more things before we get out of here today. Let's talk Big 12 Tournament March Madness as the Big 12 Tournament already underway. Oklahoma knocked off Iowa State 79-73. to K-State knocked off TCU 71-50. to 
And in the case of the Sooners, I think OU fans have been concerned for a while with this team um, based on the way that they played the last few weeks. It's been a really bad stretch. Oklahoma's not playing their best basketball. But if I don't want to call last night's game a must win, but if there was any hope of OU making a run in, uh, in March, um, all those dreams pretty much would have been shattered if they would have lost to Iowa State. Yes, they were still going to make the tournament, but the road would have been a lot tougher. They would have had no momentum whatsoever. At least they've gotten one win in the tournament. Uh, you know, now they play this play Kansas today. And Kansas is going to be without David McCormick, who has been arguably their best player this year. McCormick uh, connected to contact tracing with COVID-19. He's expected, though, to be back for the NCAA tournament. But according to ESPN's BPI, with McCormick being out, uh, Baylor has a 60% chance of winning the Big 12 tournament. Texas Tech, the second highest and then Kansas after that. And it's a significant drop-off to Texas Tech and Kansas at that point. But here's what the paths look like now that the quarterfinals are here. It'll be Kansas and Oklahoma in a very good 2-7 matchup in the quarterfinals. Texas and Texas Tech. By the way, really all these games are phenomenal, except Baylor and Kansas State. Um, Baylor should crush Kansas State, but the other ones – West Virginia, Oklahoma State, Kansas and Oklahoma, Texas and Texas Tech. There's going to be good teams that go home without winning a game in the Big 12 tournament. And, you know, we look at these Big 12 tournament games. Here's the whole purpose of the Big 12 tournament, right? It's, it's to pad your resume to get a little extra seating. And that's the case with all these major conference tournaments. But you get the idea. That's the point of this. The Big 12 is so stacked and so good, as we've talked about all season long. For some of these teams, you know, you work all season to get to this point, and you're hoping, okay, just get me a little extra from the Big 12 tournament to help out that resume. And they're walking out with nothing. And I know that may sound obvious, but the, the point I'm trying to make here is um, – don't judge somebody if they get knocked out in the quarterfinal and think, well, they're not going to do anything in the tournament. If they got knocked out in the quarterfinal, everybody's tough in this league. It's okay. It's not the end of the world. If Oklahoma state loses to West Virginia. Okay. Oklahoma state still has the best player in the country. They can still make a run. It's not the end of the world. If Texas loses to Texas tech, Texas tech still, Texas still has a hell of a roster here. I mean, somebody's got to lose, right, Tom? Yeah, I mean, all these games from here on out are going to be, you know, down to the wire. I mean, we're not putting in seven teams into the into the big dance for nothing. I mean, um, this should just be kind of a warm up. Which, you know, I'm glad that that you know, the Big Twelve is getting to play quality opponents in and of themselves um, to you know kind of keep you know kind of a is a warm up or a, a prequel to the big dance. I mean. You're, you know, it's not all the time that you're going to get just a, a solid opponent, you know, a week before the, the big dance starts. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's a win-win for the entire Big 12, or at least the teams that are going, you know, getting in. Right. 
And you look at the seeding, Oklahoma would be the lowest seed as about a five or a six. Um, you know, if the tournament were to start today, that Iowa State win last night, um, Iowa State not a very good team. And nonetheless, Oklahoma ends the losing streak. What was it? Four in a row. But now looking at this the rest of the way, Tom, and, you know, if I were to predict the Big 12 tournament, you got Baylor and Kansas State on one side, West Virginia and Oklahoma State on another, and then you got Kansas and Oklahoma on one side, and Texas and Texas Tech on the other, you know, of those quadrants. The winner of Kansas-Oklahoma faces the winner of Texas and Texas Tech. Winner of Baylor-K-State faces the winner of West Virginia-Oklahoma State. If you're going to make me predict the tournament, here's what I see happening. I think Oklahoma State gets by West Virginia. Um, They're a better team right now. Oklahoma State just beat West Virginia without two of their top players. I like Oklahoma State. I think Baylor easily gets by K-State. Um, Baylor beats Oklahoma State. Baylor gets the Big 12 title game. I think KU beats Oklahoma in a very close game. I think Texas beats Texas Tech. Texas then beats Kansas without McCormick. Baylor, Texas in the final. Give me the Bears to not only win the regular season title, but to win the Big 12 tournament. Um, That's how I see this all playing out. Tom, how does the Big 12 tournament play out in your mind? I obviously, I think Baylor wins obviously the whole thing. Um, that's not a shock by any means. I do think Oklahoma State gets past West Virginia. Also agree that KU beats OU, but I, I agree again. I think it will be a close game. Um, Tech plays Texas. Texas. You got to think. I could see Texas coming with the upset. I could see it happen. Um, for what it's worth, though, I wouldn't. But I wouldn't bet any money on that game. I think Tech can can pull that out. Um, I guess that would mean Tech would then play KU and OSU would then play Baylor. Um, you know, I, I don't I don't see any reason why that it wouldn't be KU Baylor. Uh, I you know as good as this Oklahoma State team has been, I think Baylor is just that next level. Uh, unless they want to pack it in and rest for the for the big dance, um, then I, I don't see any reason why it wouldn't be Baylor KU. Now is McCormick, he's he's available, you said? No, not for the Big 12 tournament. He's out for the Big 12 tournament, but he'll be back next week for the NCAA. Well, that is just a shame that OSU couldn't play them in the semifinal. <laughs> um, that is just a shame, isn't it? Because uh, that's that's their key. That's that's their, their – uh, Kryptonite. Or Achilles Hill, yeah, is uh, yeah. is teams with a big. Right. So, uh, you know, as, as long as Baylor – I think it'll be interesting either way. I mean, it is predictable. I do think it'll be interesting. Um, it's interesting as far as close games. But, but, I mean, we know that if Baylor wants to win it, they will. Yeah. And, you know, I look at beyond this week, when we go to the NCAA tournament next week, um, you know, it's, it, I think you're looking at the second weekend is going to be a lot of, a lot of big 10 and big 12 teams. Um, it could feel like the big 12, big 10 invitational by the time we get to the, NC, in the second weekend of the NCAA tournament, if the bracket plays out right, um, just by talent level. 
when these teams are playing their best, there's no reason why Baylor, West Virginia, Oklahoma State, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, and Texas Tech all aren't capable of getting to the second weekend. There was a point in time when all seven teams were ranked in the top 18. Last time I checked, 16 teams make the Sweet 16. Um, You know, these teams had the capability of it. Um, But if I had to pick, if I had to narrow it down, after this week, if who advances, I think Baylor is a lock to get to the second weekend. I have them going to the national championship game. I think Oklahoma State. They're playing as hot as anybody right now. Cade Cunningham's on fire. He won the Big 12 Player of the Year, rightfully so. He'll be a first-team All-American. Oklahoma State's got things figured out. I think they got a great shot to go to the second weekend. And then, if if McCormick is back for Kansas next week, like they expect, they're playing a lot better. Kansas should go to the second weekend. Those are the teams I'm looking for. All seven that the Big 12 will be sending to the tournament are capable, but those are the three I like the best. I think Oklahoma is the most vulnerable right now. I think Texas Tech has problems with their offense. And West Virginia, I don't know what to expect. Seems like we see a different team almost every night. They've overachieved this year, but I think we might see the ceiling of West Virginia where, you know, eventually it it runs out for them. Teams are catching up for them. That's how I evaluate these teams wrapping up this Big 12 tournament and heading into next week. Those are the three I like to potentially make deep runs, Baylor, Oklahoma State, and Kansas. But like I said, you could choose three other teams. You could tell me Texas, Texas Tech, and Oklahoma, and that wouldn't shock me either. But those are the teams – there's a group of teams I like more than others, Tom. Yeah, I think I think you're pretty spot on with that too. Wouldn't that be something if they all made it? Um, or you know, if, even if we got a chance to see two Big Twelve teams run into each other, I don't think that's uh, out of the realm of possibility by any means. Um, I, I guess besides Baylor Jones, who do you think makes the deepest run, or has the I mean, they could. I guess they could still level off at the same round, right? But who get who gets the closest, or who's? Well, the, I guess maybe better said, who's the most impressive? So okay, who's the most impressive? Um, so really, what you're saying is, right now, who is the second best team in the Big Twelve? That's that's fair. And the answer is Oklahoma State, um, the Cowboys, best player in the country. The rest of the teams figuring it out. Mike Boynton is figuring things out. They are still getting better every single game. Oklahoma's gotten worse. Texas Tech has plateaued. West Virginia has plateaued. Texas has gotten worse. Kansas has improved, but we mentioned with McCormick and such, there's some questions there. Oklahoma State is the team that I would say buy the stock in now to make a potential run. Now, Here's the one caveat, and you mentioned this just a second ago, Tom, is that size factor. Size matters. <laughs> and uh, and hey, Tom Fuller is next. That's next. <laughs> size matters. And uh, Oklahoma State, this team, you know, 
they, they just better hope they not run into a team with size. Like, take example, Illinois. Next week we'll announce, you know, we'll go over our brackets and reveal our picks. But if Oklahoma State, for example, runs into a team like Illinois as their second or Sweet 16 round matchup, however it shapes out, then you're thinking, oh, crap. This is a team that's really good down low that can score. Um, you know, that could give them problems. But the good news is for Oklahoma State, college basketball's changed. Not everybody has bigs like they used to. Um, this can play out nice for Oklahoma State if they get the right matchups. But that's what this tournament always comes down to, Tom. It's, it's matchups. Sometimes you get lucky, sometimes you don't. Um, you know, if you're Oklahoma State, if you just get the right matchups, if all the stars align, this team can can make a deep run. I think so, and it, it'll be interesting to see Selection Sunday comes down to who gets what and, and where these teams are placed. Um, uh, I mean, are we still thinking Baylor, Gonzaga? I mean, is, I mean – that's still, I mean, any, you know, we, we talked about what I forget. Was it two years ago? I guess two years ago that Virginia was the first, first number one seed to lose to a 16 seed. Uh, and then the know, next year they won the national championship. Right. So we know it's possible. I don't, I mean, I wouldn't bet on that. I'd like to see in the odds that, you know, do whoever bet on a 16 seed winning. I'd love um, to but, see like a 16 seed ORU getting upset. Wouldn't that be great? Over Baylor, right? <laughs> oh man! By the way, was, big congrats to ORU. That was awesome to see them win the Summit League just out of nowhere, too. That was pretty random. Uh, that'll be interesting to see where they ORU do, is at. They do have the nation's leading scorer. Uh, ORU does. How many points a game? uh ambo he uh he's averaging 25 a game ah, that's pretty crazy i didn't even know that and i literally have an office view of the maybe center yeah and that team can go lights out from three i don't want to see that team if you're as you know having to play a 16 seed that's scary 15 or 16 seed in oral roberts there but big congrats to ORU for for getting to that point but yeah um you know the, the one seeds gonzaga uh, Baylor, Michigan, and Illinois. I think that's pretty much wrapped up. That'll be those four as the one seeds. Um, Gonzaga and Baylor, I like a whole lot. Michigan, I liked a lot a few weeks ago, but they kind of uh, have struggled the last few games. Illinois, I like this Illinois team. Um, I like them a lot. Brad Underwood's done a heck of a job with that Illinois team. Um, I want to see Illinois, Oklahoma State. Oh, could you imagine? I want to see it, and I want Mike Boynton to pull it out of his ass and take down Brad Underwood. I don't know if you that, want anything to do with this IO guy and uh, in this team that Illinois has got. Like I said, they got some size. They could, they would be a matchup problem for OSU. That is true. I would, I would still like if it comes down to it. I will gladly take Illinois. Just just for the chance for Mike Boyden to, to down Brad Underwood. You know, OSU could, wouldn't even win the championship, but if, if they somehow pulled off the upset against Illinois, the, the streets of Stillwater would be flooded. <laughs> I, I guarantee it. And that would feel so good. Oh, man. Right? 
Oh, I, I can only imagine if uh, if that's the case. But those will be the one seeds. Gonzaga won the WCC the other night, and um, you know a lot of people were criticizing Gonzaga, like, "Wow, they barely beat BYU." And BYU's a tournament team, and Gonzaga won by ten. What more do you want from these guys? I mean, Gonzaga. I'll say this about the Zags: is that have they played an easy schedule? Of course. They, they have, but every challenge that's been put in their way, whether it was the opening game against Kansas or whoever they faced after that to the last game of the year against BYU, they've passed every single test with flying colors. Even a game against BYU, they didn't play great. They finished strong. So um, I've heard people say that, well, I'd be concerned if they're not really tested and such, you know, going into the tournament. Gonzaga's legit. You know, Jalen Suggs, all those guys there. Gonzaga is the team to beat. I have them winning the national championship. Um, you got to go through Gonzaga. I, I don't care who they played in the regular season. That's the best team. This tournament goes through Gonzaga. Put some respect on the Zags. You got to go through them first, and then everyone else follows after that. That's still the team to beat. Um, I have – it, it, I, I just think it's absurd, Tom, for anybody to have a problem with Gonzaga beating BYU by 10. At that point, you're just looking for an ax to grind. Yeah, that is. Uh, I mean, we'll, we'll have to see, you know, what BYU ends up doing. But, uh, I mean, gave Gonzaga a hell of a game. So, you know, maybe – Maybe, um, maybe ORU draw. No, I guess ORU wouldn't be able to draw BYU, <laughs> but that, that would be that would be an ideal religious matchup, right? Maybe we get Liberty and BYU. Um, oh God! <laughs> oh my gosh! Would that be something? But we'll uh, we'll break down the tournament next week. Should be a fun show uh, coming at you uh, when we know the brackets. And the other element in all this, too, I'll say this one more thing before we move on to Tom Fuller, right, Tom, um, is that, you know, Selection Sunday will come around this Sunday, but we actually might not know the real bracket until Tuesday because of COVID-19 protocols. If a team can't play, if they don't have enough guys, you know, due to contact tracing or whatever it may be, then they can be dropped out and somebody can replace them as late as Tuesday. And the NCAA has said, Tom, if you have five healthy players, you can play in the NCAA tournament. So um, I would, at, at this point, I would be surprised because of the bubble and the protocols and such. If anybody drops out of the tournament, I'd be surprised at this point. Uh, but nonetheless, those options still remain as far as that goes. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, I mean, if you make the tournament, you have five healthy players. I mean, the chances <laughs> that you win that first game, unless you're a higher seed, are slim to none. I mean, you want to have every able body that you can, you know, in a tournament game. So, uh, would be kind of controversial to make the tournament and then drop out. I mean, I get it due to COVID. If you, you know, if you didn't have the personnel, but God, wouldn't that be something to have a heck of a season and then not be able to compete because you're, you know, 
got hit with COVID at the wrong time. Right. What if you're an elite team, a team that's got a shot to win this? Uh, it'd be terrible if that happens. I hope not, but uh, we'll see uh, as far as that goes. So, yeah, that's uh, that's how it's going to be. We'll see how it all plays out uh, ultimately when it comes to the uh, NCAA tournament. But before we get out of here today, Tom, time for our uh, Tom Fullery story of the week this week. Tom, where are we going to head to this time? Jones, so we are – I don't know exactly. I don't think we're actually going to a place. I guess if we were going to go to a place, we'd go to the bathroom. Um, <laughs> we'll do – We'll do. this one's a quick one, and then I'll have another one for you. This one's real quick. Kind of follows up on last week when we talked about literally pooping and getting beer for it. I did not get an email back to poop for beer. Um, not yet, at least. We still have tomorrow and Friday to go, but – uh, another pooping story real quick. Jones, a toilet seat with inbuilt scales now exists, so you can go ahead and weigh your load. Kind of weird, kind of funny, kind of genius. You can now answer the age-old question of how much lighter you weigh after taking a dump thanks to a genius invention. Designer Haiku Dang has whipped up a toilet seat with an inbuilt digital scales, so you can now literally see how much you weigh pre- and post-toilet stop toilet seat was actually designed for another far less impressive reason for women who want to constantly check on their weight with the need to feel skinny is satisfied every time they finish their poo we much prefer the option to weigh each of your loads of course this invention was 100 percent created out of curiosity rather than necessity but we now know it exists and the authors of this article said we still want to invest in one jones if you go to a public restroom and there's one of these on there are you are you checking? Oh, I think you have to. I think so. I mean, I would I would see. <laughs> I mean, I don't see why not. Right? Well, I mean, what, what do mean, you have to lose? You don't. I mean, every at least every man has said, I feel lighter after taking it. I must have. I, I've, I've said before, and I'm not ashamed. Like, oh, man, that must have been five-pound shit. 100%. That has been said before. Uh, I think every not, man has said that before. That is not a brand new sentence by any means. Um, but yeah, just uh, I just had to follow up last week with another poop on Jones. Really where we're going. So we're going to Oklahoma City. And this is just a I don't, I don't know why they're doing this or spending the time. I don't know why. I, I'm looking at this and I'm just like, who, how did this even get started? How is there even money to even put up a bounty for this? Article is Oklahoma Bigfoot bounty grows to more than $2 million. Oklahoma City. Oklahoma's bounty on Bigfoot has grown to nearly $2.1 million only weeks after a bill was proposed to allow capturing of the mythical creature. Jones, this is, I mean, I know you don't live in Oklahoma anymore, but this is what our tax dollars are going to. Capturing Bigfoot? Not, I can tell you this to, right now. Bigfoot's not in Oklahoma. Bigfoot exists, but he's nowhere near the hell in Oklahoma. Right. I mean, there was a bill proposed to allow capturing of Bigfoot. I mean, th- I can't believe the number one rule Sasquatchers must capture Bigfoot unharmed and can't injure anyone else or break any laws in the process. Oklahoma State Representative Justin Humphrey's original plan suggested lawmakers set aside a $25,000 bounty for Bigfoot's capture. 
State tourism officials are now developing a Bigfoot promotional campaign that includes license plates, decals, an annual commitment of tracking license, and Bigfoot checkout stations. Current plan is to allow businesses along State Highway 259A to sell annual Bigfoot tracking permits. Profits from the sales would stay in local communities. Humphrey said his ultimate goal is to draw on tourists by providing safe, affordable fun. Jones, I don't know why. I, I don't know why we would do this. Um, I would you ever go out on a weekend and be like, I'm gonna go search for Bigfoot in Oklahoma? Uh, or, no. or at all in anywhere. Um, you know, if I was here's the thing, um, I am convinced that Bigfoot is in uh the Seattle area for no other reason than the fact that the Sonics mascot was Sasquatch. Um, so maybe I would go up to Seattle and go to the Pacific Northwest to look for Bigfoot, but I would not be looking for him in Oklahoma. Yeah, neither would I. I mean, I get it that you guys want to, you know, they want to draw people here for tourism, but I'm not going to a state and I don't think there's a whole lot of people going to a state or visiting just so they can go track Bigfoot. I mean, maybe I'm a party pooper. I don't know, but I'm not. I'm not going to this state to track Bigfoot. Uh, I mean, there are many other places here in Oklahoma, and we don't have to stoop that low. Oklahoma's not that bad. I mean, I mean, right. hell, we got we got the we got the fucking pioneer woman. What else more do you want? <laughs> Pioneer woman. Uh, I saw Carrie Underwood just had her 38th birthday the other day. Uh, love Carrie Underwood. Um, but yeah, you, Bigfoot's not in Oklahoma. There's just no chance about it. Um, you know, here's the other thing, too. Speaking of, you know, Sasquatch, um, have you noticed, Tom, that the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder mascot, uh, Rumble the Bison, isn't he just the cheap knockoff version of Sasquatch, the mascot the Sonics had? I mean, at this point, he's got to be, right? <laughs> I don't think there's any bison in Oklahoma either. Oh, yeah, there is. Is there? Yeah, there's some at Wool Rock. There is uh, Tallgrass Prairies. Have you ever been there? No, I haven't. This is the first I've heard of this. Oh, yeah, you got to go there. Yeah, there's quite a few. Okay, okay. Well, I'm wrong on that one. I'll take the L on that. Uh, I stand corrected, but... I'm sure there's some in Coweta. (laughs) Coweta. You're you're from Coweta. You are from Coweta. No, I'm not from Coweta. You know, there's even even bison in Bartlesville. If I'm Um, from Coweta, then you're from Dewey. Yeah, that'd be on my dying day. I'll be from Dewey, Oklahoma. <laughs> um, but Bartlesville even has bison. It's kind of like Tulsa did the penguins years ago. Yeah. Bartlesville has bison. has theirs. Okay. And so they're all over. But yeah, bison are alive and well in Oklahoma for sure. Not out roaming around very many places not like deer that would be terrifying actually if they were just out and about like deer or um but yeah i don't th- i mean they're they're 
there's there's a better chance that there is a stray buffalo roaming around in the woods that could run out in front of you in the road than there is Sasquatch in Oklahoma. Yeah. I believe that. And you would know about that. I would. <laughs> I would indeed. <laughs> Do you think there's anything uh, in Oklahoma that we might know not know about something, uh, you know, I don't know how to necessarily describe it, a mysterious creature of some sorts out there? Um, I'm trying to think of all the crazy scenarios that could be. I don't think so. I don't think so unless there's some, I mean, there's nothing really crazy that I can think of. What other mythical beast? Hey, you know? by the way, Tom, uh, we mentioned at the top of the show, you know, the one year mark since the, you know, day the sports world stood still. How about the fact that uh, we are one year since uh, Joe Exotic took the world by storm representing Oklahoma like he did? That is the truth, and they should release him from jail. You think so? That, that's that's Oklahoma's mythical beast. It's Joe Exotic. <laughs> that's who it is. And Carol Baskin <laughs> captured him. Joe Exotic. You know, when I was watching Tiger King when it first came out, it made the pandemic not so bad for a few days. And then I wish after I could it ended, it for the first time. Right. Oh yeah. That's the thing. Is there a way that we can reset our minds? Like, I would love to go back and watch The Office from start to finish, not knowing anything that happened. Can we do that? I might have to watch Tiger King again just to remember the the good times I had watching Tiger King last year. That's what you get if you capture Bigfoot. <laughs> you get to reset, reset my your... mind. Right. <laughs> I might need to reset my mind if I got Bigfoot. Um, well, you'd be in Oklahoma, you'd be $2.1 million richer, but they would still find a way to f- you out of it here in Oklahoma. I can guarantee it. That seems kind of low, doesn't it? 2.1 milli. See, if you, caught him, if you caught him, they said it's 2.1 million to you, but you can't injure it. And I was thinking, if you actually succeeded in capturing something like Bigfoot, you would get one way more press coverage. You would, I mean, they would be insane. It would be all over the world. You would get way more money. You would be loaded if you caught Bigfoot. Then the government would take him and then probably kill it. Yeah. And study it. That's what would happen. So I don't know why you can't, I don't know why it's, you know, not a dead or alive order um, at that point in time, but. You know, maybe that's you know the the challenge of it. But I am, I, there's a lot more easier ways to make two point one million dollars than to be looking for Bigfoot. <laughs> right. Oh man, you might be looking for a while, Tom. Uh, good luck uh, finding Bigfoot, my friend. I will not be the one searching, but I can guarantee if someone catches him, that'll be the next Tom Fuller story. All right. On that note, let's uh, let's get out of here so we can start looking for Bigfoot. 
Big thanks to John Holt for joining us. Also, Brian O'Connor as well. Make sure to subscribe to the Jones Report, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. Social media, facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, Tyler Jones Media Group. Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, at TJ Media Group. Instagram, Jones underscore report, Tyler Jones Live. Thomas underscore Bridges, or uh, Insta Thomas on Instagram, rather. You can uh, find us there, and uh, we'll be back here next week. We will know the bracket next week. And even if teams drop out, we will know the bracket by this point next week, and we'll break it all down for you. It'll be a heck of a show, and we're looking forward to it. Best time of the year, month of March, is here. This is March, as John Rothstein would would say. Tom, we sleep in May, okay? That's how we do it. We sleep in May, right? In my case, we drink in May after I'm off the 75 hard. We sleep in May, we drink in May. I like it. We'll roll with it. And, uh... Gosh, it's going to be a lot of fun over these next few weeks. And we always go big on this show this time of year, and we will continue to do so. On that note, got to run. Have a great week, everybody. So long.